like I love the quote, you can only meet someone as deep as they've met themselves. Mm. Wait, 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 wait. What'd you say? Can you say that one more time, please? Like I love the quote, you can only meet someone as deep as they've met themselves. Mm. Themselves. Mm. Themselves. Mm. Themselves. Mm. All right, yo. What is up, guys? Frankly, 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 this is beyond some real shit, like, from the get-go. This is, like, the fucking 12th intro that we've been doing. First, it was due to technical difficulties that we had to keep redoing them because there's, like, a weird noise. And then we figured it out. We started recording this shit on GarageBand. And then since then, we've just been really, really fucking around, like, super hardcore. So, you know what, guys? Fuck all the technical shit. I'm just here to rile you guys up for whatever you might be doing right now. Like, you're in the car driving to work. You're in the fucking bathroom listening to this shit. You're in fucking space listening to this shit. I'm gonna get you fucking pumped. Like, so fucking pumped that you're gonna be like, God damn, I'm very happy to be alive right now. I'm very fucking blessed to be alive right now because I get to hear the... I get to hear Christian. I get to hear his energy just seeping through my ears and going into my brain and going down my spine and you know that's it i can go super dirty right now but i'm gonna keep it pg-13 because that's just the way it's been anyways guys the snippet you heard before this like crazy intro was my friend paul bentz he's the guest for this podcast and i'm not gonna give you a damn clue what we're gonna be talking about because i want you to be that excited i want you to be like if you were like you just went to your grandma's house and she made like this bomb fucking meal like i want you to be just ready for this podcast like so so excited because all you need to know is that this is paul bentz guys this guy is paul bentz he's the man of the hour and let's get on with the show got it i I consent okay all right everybody heard it paul said it's cool to record it so the authorities cannot get involved i got permission um everybody welcome to the art of human podcast i believe this will be episode 81 um and we have special special guest paul bentz he is a past roommate we're roommates for how long paul uh a year and a half a year i don't it was we were teammates longer than that but roommates for i think about a year and a half or maybe a year i don't remember a long time yeah so context uh me and paul met at cal poly pomona which is here in southern california um i was a long distance runner i think i might have been on my third year of competing for track and field and cross country and then all of a sudden paul showed up he was a thrower and i think a discus thrower as well shot put thrower discus thrower i showed up i showed up to do the decathlon oh that's right and there was a winding journey throughout our two years there yeah um an organizational just uh cluster you know that yeah I, I mean i had a lot of personal things that led me into just doing the discus was my strongest event so i transitioned into discus there were a lot of i mean you and me will probably talk about this right like injuries mental health life circumstances that um you know, affect, you know, how you perform and how you feel about that journey and how you talk about it later and you're the narrative that you have about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I ended up throwing the discus, uh, primarily after that got into the throws and that's what my body could handle. And that's what I could do best for the team. Yeah. So, and that, for whatever reason, I'm actually excited to keep building this context. So I think it was like, one of our room, like, so I lived in an apartment with a few other 
teammates and then um all of a sudden somebody left and then there was an opening and then it was like right before the summer had started and i think it was me and my other roommate on amasio we we're on the track and then we we're like hey you know what that guy paul over there i think he's looking for a place to stay like <laughs> you think we should yeah. go ask him if he wants to stay with us and then um uh, and yeah, yeah that was kind of the that was kind of the beginning and then paul moved in shortly after we sardine we sardine into that apartment man that was um that was an amazing lesson in human adaptability we start like, what we, we just we sardined we sardined. oh yes we did yeah like uh you know southern california is not cheap man so i mean we you were you were you were actually you had like <laughs> you slept in the closet bro yep. you talking this uh i think i've probably mentioned it at some podcasts in the 82 that there's been recorded uh but we had five five, we had five guys living in a two-bedroom apartment so three guys three guys in the master bedroom and then two guys sharing the the single yeah left in the closet and it was actually the darkest quietest place in the entire apartment yep you got some good REM sleep I, I think I did it and then I but I do vividly remember one day when I was in bed and the closet was right next to the shower for the, the other shower. And I remember you were taking a shower at like two or three in the morning. I was like, ah shit. <laughs> I was like, God damn. You know, because it, it is like the most secluded, but then it's also next to that shower. I never I thought about that. that. Yeah, That's yeah. There was a lot of stuff that happened in that apartment that I don't think we've talked about. Yeah. We I just think... experienced it individually and we haven't really debriefed yeah that, but that there was a really valuable lesson at the end of that man like um, what was it what was it well i'm not i'm comfortable talking about it now but like there was some drama when i moved out because of um i think there was i had there was some ambiguity as far as like who was gonna you know pay pay for the summer months of rent and between transitioning between people coming in and out and i just regret that whole situation like because i i mean me and it ended up being i mean it was just weird with like we re, we really let a couple hundred i let a couple hundred dollars um like jeopardize like my entire like relationship and reputation with like all the people who lived there i don't and think i, I would i don't think i would have you wouldn't have affected me that way but but I know, right. I know, I know you're saying, you know, but so like me and, uh, uh, me and Animacio, we, we hashed that out. I think we ended it. We ended some stuff on good terms, but that really was like a lesson to me, just the amount of like stress. Cause I wasn't even in state at the time. Like I was gone. I was at a summer camp, like I was working and then this thing got, this thing kind of blew up in my face. And, um, you know, uh, it, the amount of like stress and like, angst it caused like all the people involved was not worth it mm. and the way that it made my spirit feel like yeah, i just don't think you should ever let now i'm like after that happened i was like man i'm never gonna let like being cheap or like having uh you know beef about finances like i'm not gonna procrastinate on that stuff mm -hmm. I'm not gonna procrastinate i'm not gonna let that like soil a year's worth of like really good like decent i mean granted like when you when you all live to get when five guys live together in an apartment there's going to be like you know, conflict like space i've learned about this like but yeah that was like i haven't really talked to animacio a lot since then but i'm sure like it's all good 
you yeah, know yeah, yeah. it's all good like we'll probably talk about we'll probably all meet up at some point this year and like <laughs> just laugh about it you know like that's kind of what happens but i didn't um i think that was just a good lesson in, in integrity yeah you know like you can those little small decisions like this is like you know it might come up like six months earlier and you just you don't want to deal with it at that point or like you don't know or you just don't want to be vulnerable and be like you know all these things but then whenever you abdicate responsibility it usually that responsibility doesn't go away it just falls on somebody else's shoulders mm-hmm. you know so i just learned there was a lot there's been a lot of lessons in like my mid-adult life that have um you know how old are you again been, paul uh 27 oh okay you're actually not that much older than me yeah we're we're all in that mid that mid 20s thing you know mm-hmm. which is the thing in itself like that's a really difficult i think that's a really difficult thing in our american culture to be in your mid 20s like transitioning between college and your adult life mm-hmm. you know? um that's a difficult thing to do especially now like i think this concept of like having a career or whatever it just i don't know maybe i sound a little pretentious or something but i don't know No, no, no. I think you're being honest and you're being real right now because I could totally relate to you. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that could relate to you. And that's why there's people like Gary Vee, you know, advocating the younger community like, yo, you're young as fuck. Just fucking chill. Like, don't worry about it. Like, you know, just dabble in a bunch of things, build self-awareness. I do think there's a lot of opportunities out there that like people in our generation aren't aren't um, maybe taking full advantage of. So, for example, right. Or it's like, it's really kind of scary or difficult to do. So for example, like trade jobs blowing up. Um, we, get, we don't have enough electricians, enough plumbers, enough whatever, like um, engineer, like we're, we're always going to need engineers. We're always going to need people who like, so like I've been kind of diving into, because I went to college, like I think my story were like, I went back to Cal Poly because I had like very specific goals in mind when I went to Cal Poly. Like I had been coaching from the age of 18 to 22. I went to a junior college for one year in Oregon. I had no academic goals. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I just knew that I really loved the sport I was in. I loved, I knew I was like a good communicator, that I was like authentic and passionate about what I was doing. I was really young and inexperienced, but like we were having success And I felt really good about the connections and just like, you know, there's, if it was great, it was really great. So I was like, I want to do this full time. I want to do this professionally. So that's why I went back to college to get my four year degree. Cause I was like, if you want to coach at a college, you got to have a college degree, you know, or if you want to. So I thought I, so I actually went into the nutrition and dietetics. We were in the same degree program, mm-hmm. went into the nutrition and dietetics. Um, and I thought I was going to come down and I, I kind of just want to tell the story of the two years, right? Yeah, yeah. go so ahead. Because there's, I so mean, many less, there's so many lessons and like, there's just so much, there was so much stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like, and I feel right, like right, right now, right now you're like a, right now you're like a well and you're ready to just let the water come out. Like, yeah, I told this story to like people lots of times, but it's like the way that you tell the story really kind of like paints the picture of like what happened. And real so quick, like, I guess this 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 would be the part where I'm like, Paul, how about you give us a little bit of context about yourself? This is that part. So now you oh, can okay, let it loose. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, that was a 
maybe I'm, this is my first podcast, by the way. So, I mean, I'm used to talking, I'm used to having really intense, like five hour conversations with one person, but I've never done it in a recorded setting. I don't know if anyone will ever listen to this, but no, it's fine because it's just well, you it's just you and me. Well, plus uh, you have to remember that this podcast could potentially be on the internet for like many, many years. So it's mm-hmm. like, if people don't listen to it now, they can listen to it in five years, 10 years, 15 years. Your kids can oh, listen we'll, to it. My we'll kids listen can listen to, to it. it. Yeah, we'll, we'll listen, listen to, to it. it. And be like, yo, we might cringe. I don't know. We'll see. No, dude, we're going to market the fuck out of this. Like get the whole cow pie Pomona squad. Like you have to watch this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. I'm just we'll kidding. See. I'll, yeah, well, no, I think that would be probably useful in a way. Oh, um, yeah. Probably useful in a way, but we'll see. So my story. So like I lived in Oregon. Um, I lived in or I moved all over the country as a kid. My dad was in the army for 24 years. Um, I've, I'm the oldest of five siblings. Um, we moved like all over the country, like Europe. Ended up in Oregon in 2007 when my dad retired. I went to high school um, at Regis High School in Staten, Oregon. It's a tiny school, 150 kids. Uh, Catholic school, you know, born and bred, like really, yeah, I came like cradle Catholic, basically. That's its own. That's, that's a whole other thing. But uh, yeah, I uh, got into the decathlon. I did like 10 different sports growing up. And then I found the decathlon when I was in high school during like USATF Junior Olympics and really kind of fell in love with the diversity of that event and just it really just, I, it just captivated my, my whole existence, like my physicality, like the, the intellectual aspect of it, the, the technical, technical, like all of these, like body, mind, spirit, these things are very together, right? And something that's, you can't really, sometimes it's really hard to put words to something that like resonates with you in a physical manner, but it's, it is a spiritual thing. And like, if anyone who has really dived into a deep physical adventure, they know that right? Some of your most profound life experiences have been in like the silence of your activity. Like one of my favorite things to do is still is to go to a a rural track here in Oregon on a summer day or summer evening for like three hours by myself and just do my thing. And it is the, ah, it is so it's, that's like my temple, you know, it's just the best. And I love doing that. And there's so much like history and, and um, like, there's just such a, there's such, there's something about doing track and field here in Oregon, like kind of growing up and you have like the shadow of like Bill Bowerman and Steve Prefontaine and the University of Oregon. There's like a whole like history for the sport here that, that, that trickles down into the, all of the communities and you feel that and you experience that growing up and you just fall in love with like the culture. There's a, there's a culture for every, every sport. And it could have been any culture. Like I did wrestling when I was really young and in all these little life, like I moved to Omaha I was a really good youth wrestler in Colorado. I was getting coached by like Olympic level coaches at my private school that I went to. And then we moved to Omaha, Nebraska. And I'm in like the fourth grade. And my mom's like, well, there's no, there's no wrestling team for at your school. Let's just play soccer instead. So I had like one decision, like I could have kept wrestling. I could have wrestled like from middle school, high school, probably gone to college and been a wrestler. I'm built like a wrestler. Like I probably would have been really fucking good at wrestling, but that one little decision, like between myself and my mom, when I was in the fourth grade, that kind of like, all right, let's go play soccer, volleyball, basketball. Like, no, we're going to read more. We're going to do theater. 
we're going to be a really well-rounded kid. And then it just so happened when I got to high school in the state of Oregon, and I had this, I had a lot of really influential mentors and experiences that got me onto track and field. And it like helped fulfill something in me, in my ego and in my, you know, adolescent development. And it took me, I mean, I'll never forget, like, I think my very first decathlon, I scored like 3,300 points. Like I was ass. I was not a good athlete at all. I was not a, I was not very talented, but I was just really excited. And I saw like the seniors, like when I was 14 an 18 year old looks like a God, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, they're, they're huge. They're like developed, you know, and they're fast and they're strong. And I was like, man, I would love to score like 6,000 points one day. And I start, I started to see like, the progression of my goals, you know, and your goals, like once you achieve a goal, like your goals get bigger and sometimes your goals get too big for your britches and you get, and you, that, I think when people's, people's goals get huge, it it can push them past where they thought they could go, but then they don't have the emotional satisfaction because they didn't achieve that goal. That's what happened to me. Like I went from 3,300 points as a 14, 15 year old to like, winning a bunch of state championships and having a school record, you know, winning um, a junior Olympic state title and being ranked like in the top 10 in the country in the decathlon as a high schooler, like as a senior, like the growth in those four years was just unbelievable. But when I was there in the moment, I was like, nah, I was like, my goal was to get four gold medals at the state meet. And I got two gold medals, a bronze and a silver. And I was crying in the car on the way home. Mm-hmm. you know I was crying yeah. I was like I was like you know you get so wrapped up I think like and I'm a kind of an intense person like if we dive into like astrology and stuff like that you know um, you know I'm a I'm a Scorpio one you know and that's the week of intensity and my particular alignment you know on my chart or whatever is is literally like geared towards like an intensity for like transformation and abundance. Hmm. And I can go more into that at some other point, but basically I'm, I, I, I wanted to walk on at the University of Nebraska for track and field. I was a late bloomer. I didn't get recruited by anybody, but I was talented enough. At but you point. didn't get recruited and you were top 10 in the whole country in high school? That was at the end of my senior year. Hmm. It was too late. Oh, I got you. That was at the end of my senior season. My junior season, I wasn't even that good. But I, I, I dedicated my entire senior year to getting really good at the decathlon. I gave up a lot to, to do that. Like, I lived in a small town where you play three sports and you participate. You, like, you, know, you party on the weekend, all that stuff. I was, like, straight edge. I had a lot of Catholic guilt as well. That was, like, driving my anxiety and, and like, my, my behavior to be really straight edge as well. So, hey, uh, Paul. Real quick, um, the microphone sounds like different now. I don't know if anything changed on your end. Come on now. Anything different? It 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 went like it, it sounds like high high pitch. Like I don't know if something happened, but yeah, how's that? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, honestly, I could hear you loud and clear. Like it sounds fine. It just the pitch is different. Um, anyways, yeah, you're good. Don't worry about it. How are we doing? Better? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're fine. Don't worry about it. 
Yeah, Tubbs, I was like, I gotta get the mic, man. I gotta get the mic. <laughs> no, no, no. This is this is just the first of many podcasts, so uh, no okay. worries. Okay. Yeah. So don't go to the University of Nebraska. Don't go there? I didn't go. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't, I didn't get I didn't get it was 30 grand out of pocket. Damn. Yeah, it's out of state. We didn't I wasn't good enough to go to Oregon. Mm-hmm. Oregon was the number one program in the country. I wasn't fast enough. So it was just, that was just the reality. It just wasn't fast enough. So I went to Lane Community College. Lane Community College is the junior, is the community college, the junior college. It's the, like the sister school to the U of O. It's in Eugene. It's a gorgeous facility, great program. I go there and I didn't really achieve any of my individual goals for a variety of reasons. Um, but I definitely learned like what team track was. Mm-hmm. And I learned, like, I'd never been part of like a real team. Like in high school, our, our team was so small and our high school coach was a really amazing man, but we weren't like a team track focused team. It was really just like, just show up and do your stuff mm-hmm. and just participate at your comfort level. Mm-hmm. And like, if you want to be great, you can get connect. We'll get you connected to the coaching that you need. Mm-hmm. But for most of the part, it was just getting people out. We had really high participation, but it was more just like coming out and having fun and having a good experience. There's a lot of wisdom in that. A lot of wisdom in that. We didn't do these long team warmups, these big team workouts where kids are like running laps and puking their guts out. No, there's a lot of wisdom in that because our kids, our jumpers and our sprinters did really well at the end of the year, every single year. Hmm. And they, they worked maybe 25% of the volume that everybody else in the state did, but they still had the results and they had a good time. Like they, they did even better than most other teams. Yeah. And there's a lot of wisdom in that as well from like a physiological, like training perspective. Um, there's a minimum effective dose training plan that's called feed the cats. It's been really, po- it's been really popular, popularized in the last three to four years at the high school level. And I brought it to the college level and had a really good experience with it. Um, but anyways, don't go to university of Nebraska, go to lane. Lane was great. After a year, I didn't have any academic goals. So that's when I start. I left college. I just started working random jobs and coaching and I loved it man I was given full I went back to my high school and my Mike Bauer our coach he gave me full autonomy he was just like here take them like do it like he made you like head coach basically no like he made me the event coach for like for 10 to 15 kids who like really wanted to succeed at like the sprints or the Mm -hmm. jump and like, I just like took on everything for them. Like I took on, like I did this, I, I took, I was the, we did, I did everything for the track, for the weight room, the nutrition, the mentality, like all that stuff. I just basically, and this is what happens when you become a coach, like the first three years, you're basically in like copycat mode, mm-hmm. right? You basically just took what you experienced and what worked for you and the people that you respect and that you admire and you try to basically copy what they do and bring it into your own thing. Mm -hmm. And then you make adjustments. So every single year I just felt, and I had this moment where like, there was a kid on our team who was actually a distance runner and I was helping him. I was training him. And in the first meet of the year, uh, he said he met his goal, like -hmm. at the very first race and his face just, lit up like the biggest smile I've ever seen I, he couldn't believe it it like blew his mind 
And that moment was so gratifying for me. Like that one moment, like switched something in my brain. Like, I can't even explain it to you. Like that moment, I was just like, that was more meaningful than anything I did. Like in my own career, yep. like that, seeing that, seeing that, um, that, uh, that, authentic, yeah. that authentic satisfaction, you know, from this, from this young man who wouldn't have had it otherwise. I'm sure he would have achieved his goal at some point, but it was in the way that like we worked together that it happened. Mm -hmm. So after that, I was hooked. I was hooked. I was just every, I started basically spending like 20, 25 hours a week, like reading, researching, applying, um, and just using, I was still training as well. So I was like, I had an incentive to like do the best that I very could, you mm -hmm. know, for myself and for all the people that I was working with. Um, and so over the course of three years, I mean, we took, just took a, took a bunch of like kind of small school kids and their four by four time. This is for the boys went from like three fifty nine to three thirty in for two, the, seasons, two seasons for, for, the four by, for the four by four, oh, four by four. Okay. So we're talking like 60, 59, 58 second, four hundreds to 52s, 51s, wow. 51s, 52s. We had two guys run. 50.5 and 50.6 and they started you know they i mean it, it was amazing like they became really good three sport athletes as well they won a football state championship they went to the semifinals and basketball and all that stuff this is a small school oregon but it was great for them i also kind of like i would i, I look back at those years now and um you know i am like a completely different person and a completely different coach and 90 percent of what i did there i wouldn't do Mm. like from a programming perspective, like the actual, the physical training, um, the emotional and mental mentality, the, just the way that I was. And this is why I love John, just like this John Wooden quote from his Ted talk in 2004. It says that John Wooden was the, um, he's like one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time. He coached at UCLA in like the sixties and seventies. Um, he won like, an incredible amount of, of titles um and, you know he was he, everybody's flawed he had his flaws but he his one of his, my favorite quotes he lived to be like 90 and he was just sharp as a tack and he had a he had a quote in like a ted talk he did in 2004 mm -hmm. and he said this was a, this was something that he had remembered since he was like in his 20s when he started teaching in high school and it was the quote was no written word nor spoken plea can teach our youth who they should be nor all the books on all the shelves it's who the teachers are themselves and so like that really stuck with me when i started in my journey because it was like okay most of we can receive a lot like non-verbally from people um i mean there's a whole psychology to like coach athlete relationships to peer relationships, to romantic relationships, like, uh, uh, but we've all had coaches. I think all of us have had coaches before who told us things that didn't match up with who they were mm. or right. So it's like you, when someone's being authentic with you, you can feel it. Mm -hmm. And like you trust you, like you have to, tr like, there's an, like people trust authenticity or at least they're willing to work with it 
right? But if someone's just kind of, someone's being a poser or kind of like, you know, being very one-dimensional, right? Or just maybe they're embracing the grind culture and you don't resonate with that or something like, it doesn't go as well. Mm -hmm. It actually causes a lot of friction. Because at that point, what that makes me think of is like the person's kind of like you're like they're following a particular like idea or concept or way of training instead of actually being in the moment with the individual in front of them and kind of contextualizing it for what it is. Right. Yeah. Or even saying this happens a lot more in high school than it is in college. But it's like this is the way to do this. And they've never even experienced it themselves or they haven't had success or they haven't felt it in their own body or they're prescribing things to high school kids who are so hormonally adaptable that it just becomes this loop of confirmation bias. And then the kids who don't do well, they just didn't work hard enough mm-hmm. or they didn't follow instructions. And this doesn't, I mean, there's so many layers this at the college level as well, but I'm just going to keep the story going. Like, uh, so like we, we put up a, a banner for the men's team and uh, the team trophy, which was really so satisfying. We did that in 2016. Um, there was a great lesson from that as well, as far as like rest and like um, the central nervous system. So I was like one of these coaches who was all about like, I was, I was kind of a high volume. Um, like I really embraced the grind culture because that's what was like, imposed onto me and had worked for me in certain elements, but I didn't have the self-awareness yet to really like dive deep and step outside myself and realize what this was doing. I also didn't have the biomechanical awareness. So like this was there um, at the, at the state championship meet, we won the trophy. We won the state championship by like two points and nobody PR at the meet. Everyone actually ran slower they were really worn out. Um, they, 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 except for one, one guy, his name was Sam. He was our senior. And he, the week before the state meet, he went to New York for five days for his sister's graduation, college graduate. And of course, at the time I was freaking out. I was like, Oh my God, he's going on vacation for five days before the state meet. He's not going to be ready. He's going to be rusty. Like he's, he's not going to be in shape. He's going to get out of shape. I mean, we've heard all of these things, right. From high school coaches or amateur coaches, like they freak out if you miss a workout, they freak out if you know, the, the plan doesn't go right. But I did my best not to work. I did my best. I was like, okay, he's going to New York for five days. Just try to be active. I was nervous in my head. I was really nervous inside, but I didn't want to like, I knew I had, I knew better than to like, call him undedicated or something like that you know you're not like you're going to New York for five days you're not dedicated like the state meets next week like where's your head at I wasn't like that but I was still internally really nervous like he's not he's not gonna do well next week Mm -hmm. he came back man and he PR'd in all of his events he ran the 110 hurdles the 300 hurdles he PR'd in the triple jump he ran a PR on the four by four we won the meet because of him we won the meet because of him and he was the most rested and everybody else, like everyone else, we were all stoked. We won the championship. We're stoked. But like, I knew, okay, we didn't, we didn't perform well at the end of the year. What happened? 
what happened. And I didn't, but this was the end of my coaching tenure there. I was going on to Cal Poly, mm-hmm. right? So I leave for Cal Poly. I go into the nutrition program. Um, um, we're on the team. I basically went down there for, for like three reasons. I remember first one was like, it's sunny. <laughs> I was, that was a big deal to me. Like I lived in Oregon. It was a lot of rain in the wintertime. I was like, if I go down to California, I'm going to get that great training weather. I'm going to set PRs. I just know I am. Um, then it was like the nutrition dietetics programs. I'm like, okay, I know better at this point. It's like, I want to get a degree where I can come out of college and then I can like do my internship. And I have like a job that's really good and it pays for my degree. And it's in alignment with my coaching Mm -hmm. kind of. And then, um, two, I came down, I got recruited by Josh Linker and Octavius Galepsi and they were both multi-event coaches. And that was a big deal. I was like, wow, we have two multi-event coaches. I'm, this is going to be awesome. Like I'm going to be mentored under them for two years. Like they're going to help me meet my goals. So I get to Cal Poly one month in Christian, you know what happens, Yeah. right? You know, the story, right? Um, and this created like a whole thing that came full circle for me eventually, but um, coach G resigned, right? Because he got offered the job at Western Oregon and it's like, yo, I'm from, he's from Oregon. He can raise his family there. It doubles his income basically because you're, you know, you're losing so much living in SoCal mm-hmm. and it was just a better environment for him and his family. And it was a great coaching opportunity. So he did, it. he just, he took it and he was gone. Mm-hmm. Right. Also that same month, link, Josh Linker stepped down because um, he was working like three coaching jobs, like uh, the Cal Poly job, a high school job and a catering gig. And he got offered a job to use a lot. He got an MBA at Cal state LA and he wasn't using it. And he got offered like a, like a job that would basically double his income overnight. Mm. And it's like, he was in his thirties. Like he was trying to get married. Like that's a no brainer. Yeah. Right. And then he ended up volunteering. He's now a coach at Azusa Pacific, you know, started as a volunteer. And then I don't know if he's full time now or what, but like at the time for us, as the as me as think about the irony here, right? Like I, I moved 900 miles to come to Cal Poly to get coached by these two guys, and then one of the guys leaves for the college that's 45 minutes away from my ranch, oh right? My like the irony. And then this was con- so it's like okay, we have no now I have no coaches, and this and and then the whole team kind of gets plun- other than the distance runners, the whole team plunges into chaos. For like four months, that whole fall term, winter yep. term, we have nothing. It's just mm-hmm. West. It's just yep. West. Like, um, and I was also dealing, I was dealing with a lot of stress because I like three weeks into the school year, I was taking FN 100 yep. and FN 100 was all about basically, are, do you really want to do this? Yep. Do you really want to do this? It's like, <laughs> We're going to bring in all these people who have disagree or went through this program. And we're going to tell you how it is. And three weeks in, I knew I was like, this ain't for me. I don't want to be a dietitian in a hospital. I don't want to. And there was also uh, a moment in FN 235 with Marcus Elam. And uh, this was a moment that stuck out for me, right? There was a bunch of people taking notes and asking questions. And this one girl asked this question, hey, are eggs good or bad? 
And to me, that's the wrong question that I, I knew in the moment. I'm like, this is a kindergarten question. And what do I mean by that? It's a very binary linear question. There's no context for this question. Mm. And I expected Marcus to be like, well, what do you mean by that? Mm. What do you mean is an A good or bad? Good and bad. What do, what do you mean by good and bad? Right? What do you mean by an egg? Who is this for? Who is the egg for? He didn't bring up any of this to kind of get the gears turning. He just answered the question. He was just like, eggs are fine. And I'm like, dude, you have a PhD. Your job is not to tell an adult, you're not supposed to give a binary answer to that question. They're supposed to be nutritional professionals. They're supposed to be discerning, like critical thinking adults. But then I realized at some point I was like, you know, and then I also sucked at chemistry. I didn't suck at chemistry, but I was like, man, am I, I don't, I'm like here for track. I'm not like, I'm not aligning with like, there's no, we're not doing, there's nothing. In, I mean, you can tell me about this because you got the degree mm-hmm. in dietetics, right? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I was looking at the curriculum and I didn't see anything about change psychology. I didn't see anything about, you know, behavioral socioeconomics. I didn't see anything about, all I saw was like, this is, this is the rock hard science. We're going to learn about <laughs> metabolism. We're going to learn about this and this and this. But for me, like I was a coach, I was a storyteller. I wanted to help people change their lives for the better. And I knew that spending two years of my life studying chemistry just wasn't right for me at that time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, God, I need to find a different. And I didn't, I also knew that wasn't going to be very practical because I had never met a registered dietitian who had changed my life as an athlete. Mm-hmm. I had always, all coaches have the most point of contact. Coaches have the most influence. Parents, coach, parents, coaches, and teachers, right? I knew that these people had the most, they had the most influence. So what those teachers believed and how they lived, like every high school kid meets like a coach or like a trainer or an athlete, like they have a role model. They see someone who's like jacked or healthy or they move really well. They respect them and they're like, what are you doing? Or they find like a friend or an IG influencer that has the look that they want or the life that they want. And they're like, tell me what you do. I'll Mm -hmm. learn from you. They're not going to, they don't care about the RD and the white coat in the hospital (laughs) who knows uh, about the, the difference between like potassium and magnesium bicarbonate. Like it's, it's like, it doesn't register. I mean, so that was where I was at in that moment. So I had to drop my major, but I I was like, this is not going to be my major. I need to change my major, but I have to finish the term. Mm-hmm. so I can be eligible for next semester so I'm in a major I don't like my two coaches just abandoned me um, I'm a transfer student living off campus so I'm not like making friends that easily right like because you were living my class, um, my class schedule was, was very weird I, I wasn't my class schedule was so whack that I wasn't like at the same weight room time as everybody else yep we didn't have a, a practice structure, right? Because our coaches weren't, we didn't have coaches. Mm-hmm. We did, we had West. That's not fair. We had West, but I'm just saying from my perspective at the time, mm-hmm. right? So I basically, it was, it was like that first term at Cal Poly was horrible. I was like, it wasn't horrible. Cause I mean, but it felt, I went home. I had the expectation going into it that it was going to be all of these things. I was going to hit the ground running and it was going to be amazing. And it was the opposite. 
And I had no control over a lot of that stuff, but I didn't even take the, I didn't even emotionally process that at the time. I was just like, got to maintain a positive attitude, got to press forward, all this stuff. I didn't allow myself to be upset about it until I went home for Christmas. And my parents were like, oh my gosh, how was it? And I was like, mom, this sucks. But I feel guilty because like, this is my third college. I'm already down there. I'm not going to transfer again. Like I need to finish this. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm 20. I was 23 at the time. I was like, I need to finish this. Oh, hopefully things will get better. And when I came back the next term, uh, Sarah Macy came along, Roger Manter came back to coach the pole vault. I got into a new major, um, organizational communications, which was much more in alignment with like what I wanted to study and continue to develop in myself at the time. And I met some cool people like, so things, things started to get better. You know, we all started, I think the pole vault really saved us. Like Roger was just the perfect coach for us at that time. He was so, he was knowledgeable. He was caring. He had a great, he just has amazing people skills. Mm-hmm. And that's a thing. That's what also I think factored into my nutrition decision was like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's so many people who have the technical knowledge or the, they have, they know everything, but they have no people skills. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of engineers, a lot of people who actually like actually build society, who fix things, they're me- they're mechanistic. They're mechanistic. They don't, they don't, uh, they don't necessarily have the, the emotional intelligence. Dude, I was literally about to say that, bro. Emotional intelligence. (laughs) Emotional intelligence is like, yeah, you can literally, I've literally seen examples and read books and watched movies and seen in real time, people who know, like they don't have, like this, we see this in coaching too. Like you might see a coach or like a system that's like, this is whack, but the coach is so, has such a great relationship with the athlete that the athlete thrives Mm -hmm. and that's almost more and it's almost more important than having the perfect program and having terrible relationships and we saw that in that year we saw that with a lot of athletes that year when when g left and we had this patchwork of i mean give credit where it's i mean it's hard it's so hard and i learned this later when i started coaching and i had my little college coaching stint but like there were, I saw, I, I witnessed it because I was coming at this from a different power differential. Like people don't, I don't think kids or even adults, they realize it once they reach the other side. But like, I went back to college at 22. I was already a grown man come in relative and relative and relatively speaking to an 18 year old high school freshman or a high school senior, 19 year old freshman. I was um, a grown, I was a grown person. I had been in a, I had been in a position of autonomy and coaching like responsibility for three years. Like I had put in 3000 hours. I understood practice management. I understood all the things you can only understand if you've been coaching for three years. Right. And I under, and I understood, I have sometimes understood like workouts or cues better than a lot of the coaches who gave them to me mm-hmm. in my previous experiences. Like And I also kind of had, I guess I had a little bit of an ego and a little bit of entitlement because of my knowledge level and because of my experience and because of my, my body of work or whatever. Like I felt that because I didn't, I didn't like this idea of 18 year old, 19 year olds coming in and just being 
not conscious, not having autonomy, just being the coach is the guru and we are just the people carrying out. It's like, this, whose career is this? Is this like, is this my, is this my athletic career? Like, do I, at any point, do I get to understand what's happening in my body or am I just going to listen to what the coaches is telling me because they give me the scholarship, mm-hmm. right? Is it like at one point, like who keeps coaches accountable for knowing their shit, mm-hmm. right? It's not the athletic director. It's not, it's like, so there's this relate, but then there's all this tension, right? There's, there's tension, which, so for me, it was weird because I'm like, I'm like 22, 23. I know a lot. I'm still trying to get better, but there I'm trying, I'm like, I'm like having this internal every I'm like at practice with certain coaches or I'm like, I'm seeing the way that this situation is being handled at the time. And I'm like, I just don't agree with how this is being done. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I have an opinion. I'm a bad teammate. Like I'm uh, I, um, you know, I see this person is in, this person got this injury or this person you know, hasn't improved and we keep doing the same thing or like, you know, the way that you're, I saw really talented athletes. I mean, this is a trend we see in all levels of the sport is like a big, it's very rare that every athlete in your program has a satisfying experience and PRs a lot. It's actually the opposite. The majority of your athletes don't substantially improve or they have mental health issues. They burn out, they get injured and they quit or they, they, they stick it out because, you know, they work hard and they're going to finish what they started. And then they get out of college and they have this like completely, they'd have no idea how to relate to their body anymore because it's not in the context of, being told what to do by a strength conditioning coach or told what to do by your coach. Like at no point were the athletes ever empowered to make their own decisions or to have an awareness to dictate that train. There's a lot there. I I'm, I'm kind of like scrolling right now. And I could say, uh, from my standpoint, I, I am an example of that. Somebody who came out of college with uh, a lack of awareness with the physical body um, a lot of mental health issues, which I can't, I'm not going to put the blame just on the college experience. No, These are things that derive from my lifetime, but, but yes, I mean, everything that you're saying, I could definitely support you on it. And yeah. um, it's not blaming one person in particular. Like sometimes you can, sometimes you can blame one person in particular <laughs> for very egregious moments, but I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm just going to try to bring it back to my own experience. Like, um, um, I feel like I'm being a bad podcast guest. I'm just no, talking the whole, no, I'm no, talking no, no. the whole time, dude. Like nah, you, dude. You, you interject, you interject on this, but I do feel like my stories. I've t- every time I tell this story to somebody who's been in a similar situation, they're like, wow, no one has ever like validated that experience for me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so no, I seriously, I seriously think that what you're doing right now is really important, dude. I'm being serious. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Cause this is, I mean, so uh, okay. So what happened next? Well, the stress of all of this combined with some previously previous biomechanical issues in my own body injuries that nobody knew how to fix. Like, 
okay, I have an Achilles tendinosis and I have an elbow that keeps getting strained when I throw or when I, the Achilles from when I jumped. How do I fix this? Um, everybody gave me do some calf raises, do some internal external rotation, right? But, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, follow the plan. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this is where you kind of dive. This is my systemic observations, right? No, and I, and so I'm I've on heard, the same I've page. Heard, I've heard you. I, I heard you. I, I'm sure you've heard the phrase when, when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, mm, right? That's a, that's like a, a quote I've heard many, many times. I don't know who originally said it, but when, when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. When the only tool you have is a squat rack, everyone becomes a power lifter mm. or everyone becomes an Olympic lifter, right? But there's actually no evidence that those things actually fix this injury or fix this injury or enhance the way that I run or enhance the way that I jump or even throw. And, you know, some people might check out on me when I say that, like when I tell them that weightlifting and traditional strength conditioning doesn't have actually any correlation to the biomechanics of sprinting, jumping, and throwing. But if you really dive deep into that, um, it's a very sagittal plane, linear training system that doesn't actually respect for the individual synchronicities of of you, of me, right? It's just get in, get out. Here's your three sets of 10, your two sets of five. If you got an injury, go to the trainers, mm-hmm. right? There's this whole thing, right? And, and, and um, so how do I bring it back to me in that situation? Um, okay. So I, I was still all into all that because I, I wanted to, it was frustrating to me that I had to give up the decathlon because of my Achilles mm-hmm. and because I just wasn't competitive. And I knew like when Candace Fuller came in in that spring, I knew she was an, a legit throws coach. And I was like, well, I can kind of see the tea leaves. I don't want to keep suffering through this, this training, this Achilles thing. I don't want to keep berating my, my mental health and my ego doing this. I'm just going to do pole vault and discus and shot. Those are three really good events for me. I can help the team. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to learn as much as I can. Cause I knew in the back of my head, eventually I wanted to become a coach. And this was, I need to, I need, I needed someone for me. I need, I did not, I needed someone who was like 20 years ahead of me who I could ask them any question and they could, they could, they could answer it to my satisfaction. Right. And Candace could do that for me at the time. That was really important for me. And that's a whole other thing about like coaching and athlete relationships. A lot of the times in the recruiting process, these kinds of questions or these kinds of interactions are not on display. In fact, athletes who are in the program at the time are asked to pose in a particular way to appease the recruits. Like to me, recruiting is not very authentic. An authentic recruiting visit would be like the coach meets the parents and the athlete. And then they basically turn the athlete and parents over to your team. Be like, Hey, Mm. there's a, here's this, this, and here's go talk to Christian and Adam and these people. I, and I, you guys, I want you to ask them any question and I want you to be a hundred percent honest about it. And don't ask questions like, you know, 
is this guy a good or bad coach? Is this a good or bad training system? Ask the question, is it a good match for me? Is it a good match for this? Because then you won't have people. There's no, there's not going to be any empty promises. People are actually going to know what they're getting themselves into. And then athletes can have a little bit more of a realistic expectations for themselves and for like the way, because so many times it's like you like freshmen or transfers again, they're like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And it's really, it's like, it, there's this whole cascade of events and that can, you know, that can be fixed by like, you know, good meditation and mindfulness that can be, that can be helped with that. That wasn't something that was part of the, part of the program at the time. Um, so yeah, senior year rolls were, I, I had really fun that spring. I learned a lot from Candace. I PR'd in the discus. That was a big thing. I won a conference championship that year. It was really fun. That was the most fun. That was the most fun I had that entire year out of all of that chaos. That season was the most fun. And my favorite moment from that season wasn't even track related. It was, we went to UC San Diego for a meet and I fouled out. I threw three fouls, man. I got way too pumped. I, I fouled out. I was pissed. But I was like, all right, whatever. On the bus ride home, and we took the van. I took the van with the throwers, so like Ryan Peacock, Gerardo, and, and the jumpers, so like Colin and uh, all the and charisma and all the girls and all the throwers. And we did karaoke for like two and a half hours. <laughs> and dude, it was so fun. We were laughing our ass off. Candace was cracking up. It was so much fun, dude. I, I can't. It was just so it was that connection, like that authentic connection between all of us in that bus. Like we didn't give a shit about what our marks were that day. We were having so much fun with each other, sharing our personalities, sharing music, sharing just laughter. Like it's the actual, it's the actual like uh, community kind of uh, team fulfillment that that, that togetherness that we developed that year because it was actually great. You know, in a way we had to create that for ourselves in a way. Right. It was so much fun. I was so optimistic. I was so confident in our, in our, in our process. Um, and I went all in on like what coach Candace was feeding me. Cause I had that trust, mm-hmm. right. I had that trust and I was feeling good. And I was like, you know what? I had to stop pole vaulting eventually because my uh, my Achilles, but I still PR'd that year because of Roger, and that was fun. But I was ready to move on and go all in on the discus and shot put. And so the next year, so summer training, I got my summer training program. I'm doing summer school. You know, I'm doing the powerlifting, the Olympic lifting, all the stuff, the balance work, the drills. Fall comes around. I'm in my major. Things are going really, really well. Um. Mm. November comes around and um, one of our teammates has a career ending injury in the weight room Mm. due to, and I want to be careful how I choose my words here because, you know, I'm not privy to the information of what happened. Basically there was a incredibly preventable, entirely preventable, accident um that happened that drastically impacted the health and the and the the career like the it ended her athletic her athletic career for all intents and purposes and 
drastically impacted her academic and her physical health for the rest of her college career. And it was from the dumbest injury that was, you know, supervised by a coach. And there was no, there was no prep. There was no emergency action plan. There was nothing. The, the, the athletic department got caught with their pants down Hmm. and instead of, we never got to action and Candace and Candace was so mad and rightfully so. And it, it, I get emotional and like kind of passionate talking about it now because I, I, I think back on it and I just think about how we were all kept in the dark and how the, we were not, we were not encouraged or allowed to openly talk about it, or at least maybe we were, but like, we weren't ready to at least. And like, it was all swept under the rug. It shut down the weight room and the, and for like two months, um, and it really impacted like my immediate circle because coach Candace and one of my closest teammates were um, in the, in, they were, they were in the, they got impacted in this really significant way. And we come back from Christmas break and um, this is like, I'm ready to rock and roll. Like I'm in PR form. Like my body's, I'm I'm strong. I'm the strongest I've ever been. My body's feeling good. I'm throwing really well. We're going through our our plan, right? I know I'm going to have some big, big throws, go to nationals, try to be an all American. And um, the first day we go out and throw, I literally throw like a bomb, like a PR national qualifying bomb in practice on my very first attempt in the ring. I remember that. And on the same day, Candace resigned. Mm. <laughs> this is my fourth coach in like a year and a half. You know, she resigned for, I think from now what I think about two reasons. One was she offered a full-time gig at UC Riverside. You don't turn that down especially, you know, someone in her position. And it was, she was very upfront and honest with us about it. And I really appreciated that. And then also just the way that the situation, like the situation was handled um, leading up to that, like the way the athletic department and the coaching staff like handled that um, was, did not sit well with her or with a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, everybody learned from it. But like at the time, it was still really fresh. So yeah, our coach left. Like my coach, my coach, the coach I chose left again, you know? And again, I did not process it in the moment. I didn't allow myself to be sad or angry. I just said, got to keep, I was the captain. This was another element. You and me were team captains that year. Mm-hmm. So when I see all of this, inju- I, I mean, I'm going to call it injustice, like in a loose term, but like when I see all of this stuff that's happening into my teammates in our program, in our athletic department, or on a day-to-day basis in the way that, you know, things are happening, like, what am I supposed to do as the captain? Am I supposed to, am I supposed to call this out and create more temporary division, right? Because when you recognize something that is not right or it doesn't resonate with you, it's going to be putting, it's going to, you're going to be emoting like frustration or anger or negativity. Right. But other people, the other kids might not even be aware of that stuff or it might not affect them, but it could. 
if you brought it up and uh, if you brought it up enough times, if you really got the gears turning to the power differentials that are affecting the way that athletes view themselves, right. Or the way that they're being treated, that they just think that's the way it goes. Right. If you actually bring, if, if you're like actually conscious and you bring this up, right. And there's still this, I'm still, I'm like the captain. I'm supposed to be a good example. So I really just defaulted to that. I was like, I'm just going to try to be supportive of my teammates. But at the same time, I was like dying inside, you know, we didn't get a new, so we just start, we have no plan again. So like Bradford was there, he did the best he could. We didn't bring a new throws coach in until the end of February. And at that point, dude, like graduating in a couple months, like when he came in, like, um, you know, coach blues, like a great guy. And I'm sure he's a great coach to the people who choose him. But for me in that moment, it didn't matter. Like I, I was done. I checked out on that dude. I didn't even really give him a chance. And I've talked to him about this. So this is like nothing new, but I, I was so, I think the whole, the totality of these two years and like, I was ready. Like I was ready to like PR by like 20, 30 feet again. And like, and achieve my potential. Right. And I had my, my, my mentor and she left and my, my, you know, my relationship, I was, this was my first year dating Deirdre and we were going like, that was a struggle as well. Like that's going on in the background. Also, I had to take 22 units spring term to graduate before the semester conversion. Mm-hmm. So with all of that scheduling, the angst, all the stuff that piled into it, right? I wasn't eating as much. I wasn't sleeping well. It was actually a miracle that I meddled at the conference championship. Like I still was able to like train and eat right. And kind of, I trained like three days a week for like an hour and a half. And like I lost weight. You no, know, my strength wasn't as up. It was also during this time that um, I kept following the plan and I had a uh, life, maybe not life altering, but a career. I mean, I, I lifted a heavy power clean in the weight room and I slipped and I fell and crunched my wrist and it was done. Mm. I couldn't hold a shot put in my neck. Mm. And when I look back on that now, I can be mad about like, you know, I really didn't need to do these insane power cleans to like throw far. We can talk about muscles for a second. Right. So what does it say to the quality of my experience? Like what could be learned from like my, my, like when I'm sitting there in the weight room, right? Like I'm the conference champion in the discus. I'm still throwing pretty far. I can't bench press worth a crap. I'm just, I'm like in the weight room comparing myself to all of our other throwers, right. Or who are there. I throw farther than them consistently every day in every competition. I'm better at this, like, and they're twice as strong as me. They can bench twice as much as me. They can squat twice as much as me, right? So how, and then we're doing the same technical drills. We're doing the same drills. We're learning the same technique. So why is it that I'm still throwing farther, right? Or, and and I think about, I thought I was thinking about that all the time. And people are just saying, well, you're just gifted. You have genetics. You're just faster. You're just like a better, it's not, that's a cop-out. That's not, that's not a, that's not a scientific answer. That's Mm -hmm. not a critical thinking answer. That's just a mindless. That's just a, that's just, that's me. That's an excuse because I think you can quantify 
things in the human body, like on a muscular level, you can, you can start to see relationships. If you're a little critical of it. Basically what that showed me was like, when you train the body in isolation, you get really strong, isolated muscle groups. It doesn't mean that when you step into a ring and you add in the transverse plane, when you add in rotational elements, spiraling elements, fascia, tendons, like nervous system elements, where I need to twist my foot into the ground and create torque that generates power through my knee, through my hip, through my torso, out my shoulder and out my hand into the implement. Bench press doesn't do that. <laughs> the back squat doesn't do that. In fact, you can make that shit worse because you're going to compress the shoulder joint. You're going to compress the hip joint in these ranges of motion that it was not meant to do. You're going to alter your scapular alignment, right? This is stuff that doesn't really get taught in an exercise science degree or a CSCS or a, a USA weightlifting sports performance course. I took it, right? Like when I was a coach, I took all these courses. It did not improve my, uh, my injuries. It did not make me faster, right? We see this all the time. Olympic sprinters who can run like low 10, sub 10, 100 meters, women who can run sub 1100 meters, they can lift, man. They, they are strong. Dude, how many white guys have you seen going to the gym who can bench press 300 pounds? They can squat 500, like power lifters, right? Or just regular dudes like me who lift and they do it year after year. And like, I've never ran under 11.6. Mm -hmm. Like I've never gotten faster, right? And instead I have all of these injuries, like my hips compressed. In fact, I found out later, this is really interesting. I have rehabbed my elbow in 2015. And nobody, everyone was just like, you know, do your elbow stuff, do your shoulder stuff. It'll get better. I had one guy come in. I mean, these are DPTs, doctors of physical therapy, athletic trainers. They're supposed to know how to fix me, right? Or help, help me fix myself. You know, that's what they're meant to do. Um, but then this one guy came in who was from a, a local university. This is up in Oregon. He looks, he's like, can I see a video of your throat? And I show him a video of my javelin throw. And he's like, yeah. So what I'm seeing is that you have absolutely no, you don't have any give in your lat. There's no force transmission from your hip through your lat to your arm. It's stuck. Mm -hmm. It's stuck. Well, why was it stuck? Well, maybe it has something to do with the fact when you're told to do heavy trap bar deadlifts two to three, like at least once a week, but usually or squat, like anytime that like power lifting technique is literally taught. You need to get down and you need to, you need to, you need to orient your fascia down into the ground to pick the bar up. You're basically orienting your lats and your thoracolumbar fascia and your sacrum. You're anchoring it down onto your body to pick something up, or you're trying to wrap the barbell onto your back to create tension in those muscles so that you can pick it up, right? It's all very necessary technique to protect your spine from blowing out when you're lifting a 400 to 600 pound weight. It's all very important, but guess what it did? Do you think anybody at any point, any coach, anyone ever told me that that was going to completely eliminate the elasticity and the viscosity of my fascia and my lat from my hip to my arm? No. So what happened? I'm throwing the javelin and I almost blow out my elbow. 
because my hip go and then nothing else went. So my elbow just mm-hmm. the elbow's not meant to take all that force. It's supposed to work in synchronicity with the shoulder in a very particular position, right? The whole body doesn't just do this. It does this, right? You can even see it like when you dance like this, this is not like you just move your body. <sighs> I feel like I'm just going off right now. <laughs> No, but basically it's, it's it's you see this like in the system right in the university system in the high school strength conditioning system like i've honestly have never met a strength and conditioning coach like uh in the system i've never met a strength conditioning coach who didn't have some sort of exp- like deep experience or nostalgia for football powerlifting strongman crossfit Right. And I experienced this myself because I became a strength conditioning coach for a football team for three years. And all of the education and all of the conditioning in that world is like the barbell is king. Being strong is never a weakness. Like do the compound lifts, do the Olympic lifts. You'll get stronger. Strong athletes are fast or fast athletes are strong. Look, Ben Johnson, Ben Johnson ran nine, seven, nine. He lifted 600 pounds. Look at his spinal erectors. They're so jacked, you know, or just like you can, you can draw correlations to so many things in sports and in, and in performance and physicality. It does not mean that this causes this, right? In fact, we don't really, we have, we have only, we are only literally beginning to understand like advanced biomechanics, like the way that's like water and fascia and bones and tendons all spiral together. Like it never made any sense to me. Here's an example, right? You, everyone's like, who's in track and field has watched like 400 meters, like Olympians on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You see them run their race. Yo, they run that first 200 in like 21 seconds and they're chilling, straight chilling, right? And then the best ones like a Jeremy Warner or a LaShawn Merritt, anyone who's like an Olympic medalist, who's like in really good shape, they finish that race and they're fine. They just walk on off, right? Bruh, I run 10 seconds slower than those dudes and I'm on the ground dying. I'm so lactic. Does that mean that I'm just not as in good a shape of them? No. What that means is that I use my individual muscles to run and they use an integrated fascial tendon structure that's elastic, that's in the nervous system, that's integrated. And they're using that for the first 300 meters. And then they use, and then that, those fatigue, and then the muscles take over in the last hundred, but they're not building up lactic acid at, at, at 200 meters like me, right? Who do you think told me this, Christian? No one, it was me, <laughs> it was me. Actually, no, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't no one. It was a very, very few specific people who are not involved in, in the, they're not in the system. No, they're mm-hmm. not in traditional strength conditioning. Um, they're not exercise science, uh, you know, uh, PhDs. They don't orient all of their testing and their research around the barbell, mm-hmm. right? They hey, actually, Paul, real quick, do you mind if I use the restroom real quick? I got to take a piss. Oh, yeah, let's pause. I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> talking. <Let's pause. laughs> okay, I'll be right back. All right, am I boring you? No, do we need, dude, to, do we need not... to switch gears or should I keep going? I think you should keep going because honestly, like everything you're saying, I'm learning a lot from you, like like okay. trust me when i tell you like 
someone could just be ranting and like I could be daydreaming, but I'm not. Like everything you're saying has a lot of deep meaning to it. And of course, obviously you have the, the conviction and the passion, but you're also very smart because I know you've done your research and I I know I know exactly what you're talking about. And this is a kind of thing right, that nobody you, ever you, talks about. You experienced it as well. Yeah, right? like everything right. that you're saying, I can relate to it. I don't have like the vocabulary. I would explain no. things obviously in my own way. But you no, have no, like the actual intellectual terms and stuff. But I, but I know what you're no, saying through the just because I've learned a lot from my own experience, being a, away from the system, right. being away from right. all that. Like I've been a lot more into the Eastern philosophy, the Qigong, the martial arts, right. the yin and the right. yang, yeah. and just certain things like that. Like you know, because at the end of the day, we ha have all these fancy terms, you know, all these fancy terms. But at the end of the day, like it's just a feeling, you know, it's all feeling that yes. you get when you move. It's not that sophisticated. Yes. It's sophisticated to teach to somebody who hasn't felt it before, mm -hmm. but yeah, talking about it's kind of shitty because you, the best way to understand what I'm talking about is to experience it. And so I guess I'll, I'll skip, I'll skip ahead a little bit. So, um, after college, um, I, you know, I had a degree, I didn't have a job lined up or anything like an organizational communications degree doesn't line you up for a trade or anything like that. It's just something that, you know, if you want to go into business or PR or marketing or stuff like that, it helps. But I knew that that wasn't what I desired for my life. I didn't want to work for a marketing firm. Um, our world is so full of just like distraction and nonsense and people trying to manipulate other people's attention for money. And that just doesn't resonate with what I want to spend my life doing, right? So I always had this thought in the back of my head, like, okay, well, and it got reinforced by a quote from Dan Path. Dan Path is like a legendary American track and field coach. He just retired. But um, he said in his 40-something years of coaching, it came down to four things. Programming lifestyle, mechanics, and quality of therapy. Colleges do two things. They talk about programming and they talk about lifestyle. Mechanics is kind of rare. It's not really talked about. It's just kind of an assumed thing. There, you might have an athletic trainer or someone in the program who, who it's just luck. It's, it's random. You might get someone to talk to you about biomechanics. And then quality of therapy is like, yo, every single college athlete needs a massage therapist and they don't have one, right? Every single college athlete needs, I mean, athletic trainers at, at division two NAID three level, they do your, they do your best. You know, they give you a compression booth. They have ice tubs. They'll help you with an injury in an isolated manner. But the quality of therapy is huge for fascia and high performance and mental and emotional wellness. So. I always had this desire in the back of my head, like the high school that I, that I went to, there's a community college, Chemeketa Community College in Salem. And they had this thing where it's like, I think this is pretty common now, but at the time, if you had a 3.5 GPA cumulative, you could go to Chemeketa for two years for free. Mm. I didn't go there because they didn't have a track team. And that's where my head was at the time. But I was always interested in it because there was a massage therapy school that partnered with Chemeketa and I was like, oh, wow, I could go to massage school for free. 
it only takes like a year. That would be pretty cool. Like I've gotten massage before. I felt the benefits. Like it's a really cool skill. Like it's definitely going to enhance your knowledge of the body. It's definitely going to help those around you and yourself. So I decided after college, I was like, okay, I know a lot about programming. I know a lot about lifestyle. I'm sort of learning about biomechanics, but I know this quality of therapy piece. This is something that I could, I could, I could do. This is something that I could actively pursue. So I did. I went to East West College of the Healing Arts. I enrolled there in the fall of 2018. It's um, an 800-hour massage therapy school in Portland. It's one of the best in the entire West Coast. Um, if you graduate there, you can pretty much go get a massage therapy license anywhere in the entire United States, except, uh, New York and Nebraska. They have like thousand hour requirements, which is pretty crazy. But, um, yeah, so I went there and this is, what's really interesting. I went in really with a view of like, okay, I want to help athletes. I want to learn neuromuscular techniques. I want to learn structural body work, right? But the most power, like I thought of myself as kind of like an analytical, um, performance minded, um, person. And I, and I want really want, I had like a very specific scope. I wanted my massage to help with mm-hmm. and what I learned there, man, I wish I could do it all over again and really just be present with it because a lot of times in life and in, in, a, in, a, in a trade pro and any in school or in life, sometimes like, I don't know if this is true for others, but it was for me. I was so focused on what I wanted to get out of it that I wasn't paying attention to what it just was mm-hmm. and what it could offer me and what I wasn't expecting it to. Mm-hmm. Some of those moments I just had to like the, I, the, the most important like the first term of massage school, I wish every person in the world could take. It's foundations of massage. It's a class on the foundations of massage. You take like um like an anatomy anatomy and kinesiology class with the trail guide to the body. Thought I had it in here somewhere. But you learn the names of your muscles. You learn where they are, what they do. You learn like basic anatomical turns, like you know, ele- like you know stuff like that, you know, tilts, you know, shifts, stuff, basic stuff. But the foundations of massage, like the very first class, you're with strangers and it's intimidating you because you have all these kind of assumptions about like what massage school might be like, or is there any creeps in this class? Or like, you have all, like everybody has, we still have a lot of biases, like a lot of, um, you know, sexual biases about massage in this country and that does get perpetuated by a lot of really shady clinics you know that i don't want to get into that but um anyways we're we're sitting there and we learn about grounding mm-hmm. and we learn about presence and just like taking a deep breath and like um you know entering a therapeutic space like creating one right there in the moment where it's like we realize that there's a power differential when you when someone is laying down face down on a table or sitting there with their eyes closed and you're standing and you're standing there over them right now what i want you like we did this basic exercise and anybody can do this right okay just sit there 
and you know just kind of walk up to somebody while they're sitting there and just put your hands on their shoulders and watch how they you know how does that feel for the person or how does it feel for the person doing that then step back now take a deep breath in and before you lay your hands on this person i want you to cultivate just like a healing present compassionate touch when you put your shoulders on them when you put and your that, hands on them yeah, yeah just like i and then i and then and then you put your hands on the sh on their shoulders and it feels so much differently like the quality of the 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 way the hand feels on your shoulder on the skin to the nervous system there's research that proves that there is a piezoelectric effect from skin to skin contact. You know, you can call it chi, you can call it whatever you want, but there literally is like an, like a, an atomic energetic transfer, skin to skin contact. It's measurable, right? And so that's the first step, right? And then once, but once that intention, like literally that intention alone is therapeutic. It is healing for a person, depending on where they're at, depending on where their nervous system's at, depending on what they need. So my massage school journey became this long year and a half process to where, and it only took a year and a half. It can take 12 months if you really push. And, but it, it, I learned how to like be intuitive, how to, um, you know, we learned about the therapeutic relationship, which was like a class that's all about understanding boundaries as a professional, as like um, someone who's receiving touch, you know, what to look for, like how to, how to interpret like where boundaries are being crossed or what's okay and what's not okay. Like just talking about it and like learning about it and practicing it. So the coolest, the greatest thing about massage school, it's really fun. It's like, you have a group of people, there's a, there's a massage therapist who's a teacher and there's somebody on the table. And the teacher shows you how to do it, right? And they're talking, they're showing you. The person on the table is feeling it. And the person around, people around you are watching it. So there's all of these learning. You're getting all the elements of learning in one thing. And then you, people switch. Mm. So you get to feel when you get to see what was done. You get to feel that. You get to determine like, okay, what about that felt good? What, how did, how could, okay, this may, this might feel good in this body versus not so much in this body. You learn about the quality of, like you learn about what good tissues are supposed to, like what hydrated tissues are supposed to feel like, you know, how to influence um, fascia and the structural alignment and breathing and integrate things. There's so much, it's, there's so much there. That's like so important to being a human that at no point is taught in school, in college. Like how insane is it that like colleges just don't have a two-year massage therapy program and those massage therapists don't work with the athletic department. Like there is such a mutual reciprocity of benefit there. That's just not being done. Right. Cause we have to outsource it to experts who make money. Right. That's their job. Um, so what I ended up learning was like, 
But here's all I'm going to put my uh, my technical lens back on for a second. It was so healing. It was so healing. But there was a type of person in my massage school. There was a I was I definitely didn't really fit in. I mean, I kind of not. I, I felt like I was a bit of um um an outsider in a certain way because there's a certain type of person who kind of goes to massage school. And a lot of the people at my massage school were like kind of they're very spiritual in a way. They had some sort of spiritual thing. I mean, some of it was effect. Uh, some of it was like authentic and some of it was just like white neoliberalism. You know, it's Portland. You're going to get a representation of both of those things. Um, so there were people there. This is what I learned a lot about pain and the structure in the body. There were people there in massage school who had a yoga practice. Like they did yoga regularly, right? Mm -hmm. They did yoga regularly and they were getting massaged in massage school three to four days a week for a year. And they did not get out of pain hmm. and their bodily structures, their posture never really changed. And they may have, they learned, and I mean, that, that probably wasn't the focus for why they were there. There's this whole paradigm of like, you know, fixing a person. You can't treat a, a person like in ecology, right? Um, for animals and plants to achieve their potential, they have to be challenged. Like you have to trim it. You have to. You have a little bonsai tree, right? So you have to trim that tree, right? Or you uh, have you have, you have a bunch of plants, right? So you trim your plants to like prune them, but you prune plants or you give them the right soil. You have to challenge plants in a way for them to grow their best or to make their best fruit. Animals, like I learned a lot about ecology because I grew up on a ranch and I've done a lot in, um, you know, regenerative. I haven't done a lot in regenerative agriculture, but I've studied it a lot and I've dabbled in it with chickens and like um, different, you know, uh, goats and cows and stuff. Um, you know, they have to, they have to, you have to set up the environment for them in a certain way to, you know, where they produce their best milk, they produce their best eggs. Um, they need to be able to deal with stress and they need to be robust to be able to deal with nature. Right. And you do that in a very compassionate, intentional way, but you can't come to a human as a therapist and be like, you know what I'm here to do? I'm here to challenge you and I'm here to fix you. <laughs> like you can't come out of the gate like that for most people. It doesn't work well. It's not a good way for your nervous system. Like humans are not plants and humans are not animals. We're all inter I believe that we're all interconnected in a very profound way, but we are not the same. And our nervous systems are different. Our experiences of the world are different. And uh, so, so uh, honestly, like, I've gotten, I've, I've done, with them. I've massaged a lot of people now. Um, <laughs> and uh, you just learn a lot about the nature of the human body and the nervous system by like being one-on-one -on -one with someone and like feeling their body and trying to like move with it and move um, through it. And to how, how does, what's his, how does pain get affected? But I think a big thing was like, a big thing that pops up in all therapies, massage, chiropractic, whatever, is people go to people who are in pain, they go to massage or to chiropractic and they expect to get 
their pain relieved and it's a quick fix. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, they might feel awesome for like three days, but then the same pattern comes back. Mm -hmm. And so I came up with this analogy while I was in school. It's like, do you want to be a firefighter or do you want to be an architect? Do you want to just respond to the call and go put out someone's fire week after week, after week, after week? Right. And like, do you want to spend your, or do you want to be, do you want to be the architect who like designs the scaffolding the, the right way? Not the, I mean, right, wrong. Those aren't the great terms. Design the scaffolding in a way where pain is almost irrelevant, or you can regenerate the body in a way to where you don't, you don't deal with like chronic disease and all of the typical aches and pains that most people deal with because they don't have the, um, the support or the awareness or the ability to move their bodies in a certain way. Yeah. So in essence, it's kind of like going to the root problem and kind of, you know, that quote of like teaching a man how to fish or just giving him a yes. fish. Like, so essentially like that's kind of, I feel like that's how I perceive your yeah. architecture firefighter. Like the architecture is like somebody who knows how to fish, who can go get their own fish, who can take care of their bodies, who have the self-awareness. Um, while the firefighter is more like, you're just tackling the system, Emergency. The, the symptom. Yeah. You're just tackling the symptom, but you know, briefly after you're going back to the same exact problem. Right. And that's the type of work. And then like the longer you go on, you realize it's not necessarily an either, or it's a both. And you're both, you have the ability to be a firefighter and an architect at the same time mm -hmm. and the ability to, and you discover this in coaching as well. Like you might have a plan for practice, but then somebody comes to practice and this plan, this practice plan is just not going to work for the day. Right. Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, or you have an agenda to, you know, make progress here, or get out of pain here, but then like life happened and I just need someone to give me a, a really relaxing Swedish massage and like get me into a parasympathetic state and to flush out, you know, flush out blood and lymphatic fluid and, you know, bring back my sense of equilibrium so I can deal with this. Mm -hmm. And I, so I guess what, so while I was in massage school, I then, this is funny because I kind of feel like, I kind of feel at peace with it all now, but I was very frustrated at the time because I felt like I wasn't, I, I just felt like, man, this is, the, I, I was encountering the exact same pattern that I did while I was at Cal Poly. I thought it was going to be like this. This is not what I thought it was going to be. And I found things to get, I think this was just part of getting older and my brain, like fully developing, right? Your brain doesn't fully develop until you're what, 26. So my brain was actually still growing. And that's the hard part about working with college athletes is that in high schoolers is their brains are so, they're so young. They're literally can't, they literally are, things that seem kind of routine or normal to me now is like mind blowing to someone who's 17, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, in the way that it was to me uh, at the time. Um, shit. Where was I? Yes. 2019, 2019. It's like my last term of massage school. I'm taking a structural body work class, which is all about like uh, manipulating the fascia and, and the bones through pass from through strokes to kind of restore posture. And it involves like body reading. And um, this class was BS. It was not effective. 
we were learning some really relaxed, we, we were giving, receiving some good massages, but we felt like the material was not being taught or we were not, we weren't really like getting anywhere with it versus mm-hmm. we were just like, damn, maybe we should have just taken spa. Maybe we should have just learned how to do like, you know, essential oils and, you know, al- algae scrubs and like mud, all this cool stuff that you do in a spa setting, which people love and they'll pay you a lot of money to do because it feels awesome. Maybe we should have just, should have just done that. But we wanted, I wanted to do the structural thing and I was, it was not getting a lot out of it. And it was really frustrating. Um, and to be fair, it was kind of just like college, you know, in college, right. You don't, you get stuff assigned to you, like read these pages, but I've never met anyone who read every single thing that they were assigned, right. You skip stuff or like you're having a bad day or whatever. You don't do your homework for this. You're just like, oh, I'm still going to get a good grade. You know, you don't do this thing or don't do this thing. So you miss out on information. I did that same thing in massage school. I, I didn't read. Man, I probably, there's probably a good 40, 30 to 40% of the material that I did not consciously sit and engage with while I was being assigned to me. So I, that's why I wish I could kind of do it all over again so that I could actually like, and just absorb it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's I think something that's come up in my life, and I'm those moments happen to me more frequently now. Where I'm just like, you know, your ego used to be attached to like this performance mindset, and like completely orienting your thoughts and your feelings towards this 24 seven, 365. There is no off season. You're thinking about how I can get better. Right. But that's so like, and this happens to so many athletes who just crash and burn because the performative element, like college in itself is this huge product and environment that gets pulled out from your feet. As soon as you graduate Add athletics on top of that. And it's why like, you know, only 50% of student athletes say that they're thriving after college. Hmm. They don't talk about like the depression or the loneliness or the anxiety I mean, we, we are starting to, cause everybody has a voice now. Right. Which is important because I think it can it address the systems. Like we need to be, there's some pretty fundamental things that we could be talking about on a daily basis from your freshman year. Like, who are you? What do you believe? What is the good that you're trying to like, what do you want to do with your life? Right. It's not more like, Hey, what's your major? Like, mm-hmm. hey, like, you know, <laughs> let's just, let's just talk about nothing while we're doing this. Right. Like, or, you know, so I, I want to get back to the massage school, like, um, that term. real, real, real quick, real quick, before you go on, um, what you just said about, you know, having these kind of deeper conversations, you know, like I mentioned about like freshman year, like, you know, I recently made a video. I posted this, I posted a little snippet on my IG page, but then like I started this new YouTube channel and it's on there and it's like, Cause I made one snip and it's called some real shit. And then this would be like the sequels, like some more real shit. And like, part of that was me talking about how, like, you know, I go on social media and oftentimes the thing I see most of is just, you know, people smiling either by themselves or with family. And uh, my whole point in the video was not to say that there's anything wrong with that. I think it's, it's good to share what's going on in our lives and it's nice to see a smile and things like that. But one of the things I was trying to pass on is like, man, if everybody, 
gave their little grain of salt of like, you know, because I was like, man, most of us don't we don't spend all our day just looking into a camera lens like we spend our day. We have jobs. You know, we have a specialty in something. We're a family person. We do this. We do that. We have a bunch of different roles and we spend a tremendous amount of time like outside of just looking into a camera lens. So I'm like, if people were to take their knowledge or their experience or their personality and make some type of content, whether it's entertainment or um, entertainment or um, our educator, if they were to educate us on whatever craft they might do, then I'm like, just imagine like how better off we would be. And then the addition to that was like, what if we were to actually talk about like what's going on in our lives, like the good, the bad, the, but in particular, like, let's talk about the struggles. Cause that's oftentimes what we never hear about. And then I said, like, if we were to actually talk about our struggles, like everybody would feel validated and like, Oh, it, it is okay to feel bad. I'm like, Oh, I'm not the only one that's going through this struggle post-college post whatever. So I'm like, if we were just on some real shit, then I think as a society, we could progress. And I mean, now we talk about the internet, it's very accessible to be on some real shit and share it yeah. with all your friends and family members. I love what you just said about that, man. Like that's kind of what you and me are doing right now. Right. Like I'm kind of breaking down for you, like my life and all the struggles and all of the conflict and the triumphs of since we last lived together, mm-hmm. it's been three years. Like a lot happens in three years. Right. But you don't necessarily like, I'm thinking about you. I, I think about like, I have, Lots of moments pop up throughout my day where I think about like someone like you or some of my other teammates from Cal Poly or friends or, or friends or relatives from phases of my life. And I really like, I didn't used to do this, but now like, uh, I, uh, I don't, I could talk to them at any given moment, but for some reason we don't get together as often as we should. So that's why, I mean, that's why I, I reached out to you about, um, you know, reimagining like what a bachelor party could be. Mm-hmm. Right. I think I've come up with a better name for it. Like um, <laughs> gathering. The Just what? The, the, the gathering. Oh, the gathering. I like that actually. The gathering. Because I literally, I was thinking about this this past week. We were at the Oregon coast and we went on this hike and I was at the beach. I was like, just standing out there, like really grounded, really centered. And I had, I was like, man, I, I really had these super fond memories and pop up of, you know, like 20 to 25 different men, like throughout my journey in the last 10 years. And they all have a, and you were one of them. This is like, there's a special, there's like, um, you sense the authenticity in those people and like how you connected to them in that moment, like throughout your time together. And um, like what is this come bringing it back to what you're saying? Like, I just had this deep desire um, to bring all of those people together. And some of them, some of you don't know each other, but I feel like you would know each other because you, we, your authenticity connected to mine and mine connected to yours, right? And when all of us come together, like, you know, for three days or something like that, there's not going to be anywhere that you turn where you're not going to be able to connect to somebody about something, right? Or to be honest or to be, like, vulnerable. We're going to build something together or we're going to, right? It's, some, it's like some, you're taking the ordinary 
interaction and transforming it into like this intentional, extraordinary moment instead of just same old, same old. Like some people, you know, some people like to just go with their high school friends to Vegas and get fucked up for two days. And like, yeah, bachelor party was awesome. Thanks, man. But like, and maybe that's the only way they can authentically connect if they get enough alcohol in their system to break down, you know, those socialized barriers that they have. And then they feel comfortable because still honestly, I was struggling. I've wanted to, when I came home this summer, I wanted to emotionally connect more with my family who I kind of like emotionally neglected for a big part of my life because I had so much personal stuff that I took out on them. Mm-hmm. And um, like I've been working and it's just these small decisions. It's as simple as like, and I've been really struggling just like, even like being like me and Deirdre can be like really emotionally vulnerable with each other. It's comfortable. It's safe. It's expressive. It's still a little scary sometimes, but like we can sit in it with each Mm -hmm. other built that we've built that up. There's strength and trust there, but like to do that with everybody that you meet is one, not, not realistic initially because you, it takes time, but also like, you know, there is a, Anyways, I feel like I'm kind of going off here, but I resonate a lot what you say about um, I'm sure everybody that I've my 20 to 25 people that I've thought of to invite to the gathering, they have all had an, a, a depth of complex conflicts and struggles and sufferings and all they're seeing on IG is like the highlights or maybe they don't hear from all those other, all their 20 to 25 guys. And they think that they're doing great and all that, but we have, there's a lot to learn from each other. And I know when we have another podcast, I'm not going to talk as much, but (laughs) the purpose of this con this conversation, it's like, I'm going through my story and you're reflecting on it and like really interjecting on the things that mean something to you. And like, as the timeline, as the story continues, um, there's just more stuff to be kind of that we'll be able to talk about later. Yeah, you know what? Um, the the name of the podcast is The Art of Human, but when you look at the acronym, it's Tao. You know, I mean, just that sound Tao, you know, it, for me, it kind of resembles Tao, Taoism. You know, and one of the concepts in Taoism mm-hmm. is Wu Wei, which is it translates in different ways, but you know, you could say action without intention. And then I actually just speak to a martial artist who is who has been practicing martial arts for a while. And he was mentioning to me how Wu Wei, the way in which his Shifu taught him, and his Shifu is a part of the lineage of Ip Man, which is the, which is the teacher of Bruce Lee. I um, love that. I love that movie, man. The Ip Man series? Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, he taught him that Wu Wei was like, and granted, I'm going to say this a little bit different than he does. I don't know it verbatim, but it was like this. Like He said Wu Wei is kind of like, it's this like aggressiveness, but combined with like, um, I think he used the word like pacifist, which I, do you know what the, that word means? Pacifist. Um, I don't know if that was the well, exact pacifist. Word. Pacifist is like someone who is like passive. Someone exactly. who. Exactly. That's exactly what embraces, he said. Then. They kind of like they, instead of fighting back, they just embrace it. 
It's okay. like turning the other cheek. Okay, so that must be the word then. So he said Wu Wei was like, it's a pacifist and then like this aggressive energy. And then when you combine the two, essentially, and I've actually analyzed this beyond like just com- conversing to myself in the car the other day. And it's like, you can think of it very much like water. I think water is a great analogy because water is like Bruce Lee once said, it's the softest substance on the earth. You know, but nonetheless, it's a soft substance. You could throw anything at it and the water will not like destroy. It'll just move and then it'll come back together and it'll become whatever shape you put the water. You know, you put the water in a teacup or whatever you put it in, it's going to become that shape. But then at the same time, water has the potential to shape mountains into essentially it could it could slowly but surely shape almost anything, no matter how hard the substance is. So in essence, I feel like that's what the concept of Wu Wei is is that you're Mm. living a lifestyle in which you have this conviction or you could say aggressiveness or this very passionate determination, but then you're combining it with this passiveness because then you have this wonderful harmony of this dichotomy that kind of makes up this existence, which is the good and the bad, the, the, the bad and every good, the, the good and every bad, you know, the yin and the yang symbols are great. I think that's like an amazing symbol because you know, you have the black and the white, but then you have the small white dot within the black and you have this, the small black dot within the white. And then at the center, you have this emptiness, which is the awareness in which the two lie. And so that's and then what you just said just a second ago about, you know, it would be, you know, this idea of being able to emotionally connect with somebody like every single person and be authentic. I think that's actually possible because you might be thinking, oh, well, like, if I'm not opening my heart and soul to everybody, then maybe that's not be, me being authentic. I don't know that that's what you're thinking, but I'm just saying maybe that's what somebody no, might be I meant, I meant it more in like, you have to, um, I've seen, I mean, it's like, and I learned this in the therapeutic relationship class. Like it's, it's, you can get, you can, you can hurt yourself being opening yourself up. I mean, this is like, you, if you, you can really put yourself at risk by opening yourself up to everybody without having like a little bit of, you know, I think this is what you're saying, right? Like the, you got to have both. Mm-hmm. You have to know when you have to know when just to like be the water in the cup that's still and letting things drop in versus like my water is going to flow through this, this thing. And like when to, and you'll, and I think you'll realize that. And when you connect to like, some people are ready to connect and some aren't. Like, I love the quote, you can only meet someone as deep as they've met themselves. Mm. Right. Like yeah. that's really profound because that applies to anything. Right. Like that applies this, it can apply to the biomechanical element where there's so many code. There's so many people right now, just in this niche world of like sports performance and biomechanics and strength conditioning. And they're on completely different things and they all have their own masters and uh, inspirations and gurus but they don't and they don't overlap or they have conflict between each other and how they do things because maybe they haven't fully experienced or stepped outside themselves long enough to feel it and that's what kind of yeah I don't know if you had more you wanted to say on that but that kind of segues really nice into the nice part of the story you know uh i'll just finish real quick <laughs> yeah no, go for it. um i was just gonna say like because th- this is what i'm experiencing in my life right now because i mean i've gone through a lot of things and i mean maybe i haven't elaborated on all the details to be honest but i mean i guess you could listen to the podcast and 
and look at my content, probably have an idea of what I've been experiencing. But like something that I'm realizing recently that I was doing, and I know this is a characteristic that a lot of humans do is like, when you have hurt, you try to help other people who are hurting. And in that process, you kind of get convoluted in the hurt. And then now you're both kind of <laughs> in that phrase of like misery likes company. And I know yeah. I, I have found myself in that. And then kind of like you, what you were saying, like you weren't aware of it in the moment. But then once you go behind it, like in hindsight, you're like, oh, that's what I was doing. And that's why I was around those kind of people. And that's what was going on. That's why I felt that way. And it's interesting because now that I've kind of observed that and realized that, that I was doing that now, it's kind of like when you really, really, really like let go of like trying to make anything out of something ex rather than just experiencing it for what it is, kind of like what you're saying with your therapy, then all of a sudden there is a very natural flow of energy. And if, for instance, like if you were going to have a deep, intimate conversation, it would just kind of happen naturally. For some people, you might have that connection immediately because we already have that kind of relationship where we've gone deep, we've whatever, whatever. But yeah, I can kind of keep going on this, but it's an interesting thing how it's like, it's just in the moment when you're actually in the moment, everything kind of flows seamlessly and you never will uh -huh. catch it. You will never catch yourself in this strange moment of awkwardness or, oh, it was so such a weird silence. Like, no, yeah. when you're actually in the moment, like you are connected to the moment no matter what happens because, oh, I, I like if I'm in the moment, I could feel the tension or I could feel the person may not want to talk. So I might be quiet. Oh, oh, you know what? If I interject yeah, this yeah, kind yeah. of more like shallow, like, oh man, that was a funny post that you made the other day. That could be the energy that transitions the conversation to kind of go developing this flow. And it's almost like music where you're kind of just setting the first layer, like just the percussions. And then all of a sudden you've been on the percussions on the wild. That's just kind of like the fundamental, just surface level stuff. And all of a sudden someone, someone decides to throw in the, the guitar. And then now you're kind of adding this melody to the conversation. And then all of a sudden you threw in that melody. So that now that other person feels a little bit more comfortable to dive in. And then, so you have this very like, yeah, that's, that's why I think Wu Wei is like such an interest, interesting concept. And like, when you really set the ego aside, you can really create this beautiful, like, yeah this beautiful thing yeah man that's i really like I man, that woo way that woo way that's <laughs> i like that a lot i like that a lot because water <sighs> water's amazing man like i've learned a lot about water in the last like three years but um i think one of the things is so cool and one of the things that's i mean learning more about water you really I was just sitting well, cause I was working in Laguna beach before I left up here to Oregon. And so I'd like go down to the beach before work and I would just stand on the, the beach and I would watch the waves. I would, I would just watch the way that like one wave would come in, but like one wave was coming out and the way that they were like combining and swirling and stuff. And I was like, yo, and you, then I know all these things about how like, you know, all the water that's ever been on the planet is all the water that is. Mm. Right. It's just constantly recycling. Like we know that, um, you know, indigenous cultures have water ceremonies like back in like a long, long time ago, you know, water, you could, holy water was literally water that had an intention spoken onto it and it had an effect. Um, I was just sitting there. I was just like, water is just this incredible, like alien, like substance. It's like, 
it, when you really watch it and it's like one of its purest forms, you see the way it moves and you really like sit with it. Helps sometimes if you get a little high and you sit with water. That helps too. It's, it opens up your brain or your chakras or whatever, the stuff that you haven't been paying attention to or haven't felt before. But like water is, um, and it's just, we just take it so for granted and we treat it like crap in our cities. Um, water, water, the water that we're drinking now is not the same water that we drank before the industrial revolution. You know, there's acid rain, there's environmental pollutants. There are um, all these pharmaceutical medications that get flushed into the sewer system. Like the list goes on and on and on. And so we've really like stripped water of it's like, it still has that memory and you can actually add things back into water to give it that's that healing property that it has. That's why I like, but I think a reason why a lot of people struggle to drink water or they don't like drinking water is because they've never had good water. Mm. Like never. Right. Cause even I've done a deep dive on water filtration. I just bought like a really high level water filter. Um, that does like 10 stages and five micron and remineralization and reverse osmosis, all of this incredible things, which makes this water like so nourishing, but we know literally the symptoms of dehydration cause like so many, you know, problem. I mean, water is just amazing. We could talk about what we do. We should just do a water podcast. A water podcast. We really should do a water podcast. I guess the, <laughs> but one thing that really blows my mind is like, like um the astrology stuff and uh um, hey, we got to get that cheers though we got to get that cheers on the water line yeah. <laughs> of course something as simple as like yo the moon and the sun affect water so strongly like the way that the moon moves affects the ocean what the whole ocean gets affected, gets moved by the moon. Our body is full of water. So how can the moon not affect us, right? We may not be able to measure it, but people are intuiting those things. You can become more intuitive. And I've just discovered this through massage school and then through all the natural health and all that stuff. You can literally become more intuitive the healthier you become. Or the more reconnected, the more intentional you get about reconnecting to the earth in whatever way that looks like for you, you can literally become more intuitive. It just has to be intentional. Like I had no intentional of being into, of becoming more intuitive when I started massage school, but the environment and the practice just brought me into that intention. Right. So it's just amazing, man. Like the sun, the sun is so responsible, like circadian health. If you dive into like quantum biology and circadian health, circadian rhythms, the nutritional elements of the sun, seasonalities, the way that seasons affect the human body, but where solar density is high or solar density is low, it's so responsible for like our hormones, um, you know, how, what we can eat, you know, I, I spent about a good year learning about like the sun and the water and, um, how it affects the human body from like a, like a kind of a scientific perspective, but then the, all of the, the spiritual stuff starts to make more sense in that, in that way. And um, so 
man, that. See, something, something just kind of to something that I'm thinking based on what you just said, like, you know, the idea of spirituality and, and, and God and religion and all these different things. Like, I feel like, honestly, at least for me in my younger age, like, it's just like a very like, like, what is this? And you see it all over the movies and they talk about God, the devil, this, that angels, prophets, this and that. It's like, it's just like a very like, it makes you feel like in fear and it makes you feel like like it's convoluted and like what am i and it, it creates a lot of like this instability when in fact spirituality and religions and all these things are to create internal stability or to make you feel comfortable with the uncomfortable it, it's able you can be in a very uncertain moment but you're able to make this deeper connection that 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 it's kind of like accepting of no matter what happens it's going to be okay but um and the reason I bring that up, I'm not even too sure. That's okay, man. <laughs> I already lost I, my I, train no, of no, I get it. I get what you're what you're referring you to. You get what I, I was going for. No, I think you're speaking to something that's very relevant for most. I mean, I think all of us. Well, maybe not all of us. I shouldn't speak for all of us, but for myself and our generation is like. Maybe you when we were when we were born, the internet hadn't taken off yet. Mm -hmm. so people were still i wrote this down i wrote this question out is reality fixed and or do you behave as if it is mm -hmm. right so i think about like my parents are in their late 50s mm -hmm. and they were fully formed adults before the internet was even a, a concept right and so you think about when they're when they grow up in like a very certain environment right you grow up in an environment that's like the people look, walk and talk the same way. The religion is, this is the religion. This is the, inter this is the exclusive. This is the interpretation of reality. Right. And then, but then we all know that we all, it's as clear as day. Like we see examples of people using religion to manipulate other people to fulfill, uh, you know, their desires or whatever agenda right? And as a child, you can sense that. You can sense when you might, you don't have the words for it, but you can sense when something doesn't feel right, right? Or you might completely ignore that because you are convinced through the fear that if you don't believe this thing, you know, you're going to be damned or your, or your parents like literally or, you know, psychologically drill it into you. Mm -hmm. and that happens and it's like it's nobody's i don't know it's not blaming anybody to perpetuate the problem it's not about being you can yeah you need to if that's how if you've been mistreated by by a religion you should process it and you should and you should you should really like take the time to figure out what that's done to you because i had to do that for myself and my existence doesn't, it's almost crazy. Like I had this thought before we started Christian, like thinking about like what's natural or whatever. And I just thought about our experience. Like I thought about like when Bradford first got here and we had that big team meeting out in the courtyard, it was just all these different dudes, dude. And like, you know, white dudes, uh, black dudes, brown dudes. And we're all just mm -hmm. there and we're on a team together. And I, I thought about that moment and I was like, 80 years ago, this would have been illegal. Mm-hmm.
80 years ago, if I, this would not, I would not have participated in this. My nervous system would not have encouraged me to do this. My, uh, my upbringing would not have encouraged me to do this. Who am I to say that I'm any better than, than those people from back then? Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm choosing, right? Like I literally chose to let, like leave, you know, and you can, you can take this perspective and apply it to anything. Like I left my home 900 miles away. I went to like, um, a school that was, it's like 50, 60% Latino. Um, I didn't even know that. Honestly. Yeah. Cal Poly Pomona, <laughs> Cal Poly Pomona. You hear they just got like a $40 million grant from some donor, from, right? From, uh, Mackenzie Scott. Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, oh, because shit. Cal Poly Pomona is like one apparently. I mean, they serve like the most, you know, uh, you know, Mexican American students like in all of Southern California. They're responsible for the most social upward mobility for the people who graduate, which makes sense. If like you're a first generation student and you grad and you go there and you graduate, like, and you get like a good paying job, like that story is pretty common, mm -hmm. you know. So, I mean, but that that's like this is like the LA and like my art like where I live right now are such different realities from a structural perspective and like my relationship you know with Deirdre who's Chicana who's first generation who's like we are so different but this goes back to like we're also so connected by something out by something that's greater than both not greater but it's just something beyond our understanding like love mm -hmm. and connection and trust and um well i mean our lang we have a shared language which is really crazy to think about like she's bilingual so her brain works in a completely different way than mine does i only know one language and she knows two so like I would say it doesn't mean that I'm like, just because I can talk and really articulate English really well, that's what my brain's meant to do. I can't hold a conversation in Spanish like you can. Christian, I would say that your brain is more adaptable and stronger than my brain. Like, because you can hold, you can actually exist. Like you can fully exist as yourself in two languages. I can only fully exist as myself in one language. I, I like, would say I would have some limitations for sure. Well, <laughs> my Spanish is not up to par with my English. <laughs> you can, you could, you could live. You could mm -hmm. live your life. You could live your life. You could survive. You could, you could um, build relationships like with Spanish. I can't do that yet. But then we get into the weeds of communication and like eighty percent of it's nonverbal and like you know if you really you would you would still get around. You would still get around. You'd get around in Mexico. You technology get helps. Technology helps a lot, but that's what that's what it's been so wonderful. Man, like I I just have so much respect and just admiration for people who speak multiple languages, who had to assimilate to this American culture and go through a lot of trauma to do that. And that was not. And that's a part of their story now. And like, I didn't have, I mean, I went through my own stuff, but it wasn't anything like the kind of, of it wasn't, I, I haven't experienced the level of, 
I, I've just experienced different things, mm-hmm. but I also have not had like, other than like, maybe like, uh, it's like, you know, like I'm a straight white guy from the middle class. Like the government hasn't been after my people mm-hmm. other than like 200 years, 200 years ago when my family left Germany, you know, because of a famine or something like that, you know, but when they got here, all the indigenous people got moved and the government gave them land. Like what the fuck, Like, you know, and, and we are, their descendants are still here and there are people being moved from, from Southern sections of, of this continent upwards for reasons beyond their control or for reasons for their, within their control. And, um, I guess I come back to this, this thing where it's like, I feel it's just dumb luck that I was like born during this time. Like it's just dumb luck that I'm in this body. Like I had no control over the body that I, that I, that, that like the, the church and like very, there are, there are definitely forces at play, which try to convince you that certain skin colors and certain ways of life are inherently better because you were born in this situation, because you are in this situation, you are better than some other human, right? But it's just dumb luck. And it's like, what do you do with like the privileges that you have? And it's how do you, con- how do you like conduct yourself like in the world or not even in the world, just in your family, in your community, in your neighborhood, at your school? Like what's the future that, because you're, you're either you're an unconscious or you're a conscious creator of your future. Mm-hmm. But then like, there's like levels of consciousness, like how, how much am I really in control at all? But uh, that's, that's like a whole other thing. But like, I have some kind of want to keep going on that. Like, yeah, keep it going, dude. Like, oh, this has been fun for me. Well, not fun. It's, it's like a challenge in my family for sure. But just like um, reprogramming binary thinking reprogramming binary thinking and just or like just a binary um, existence because you know good and evil right and wrong uh some of these things do some of these things do apply to mechanistic tendencies in our existence um it's very there the good like there's a See, right and wrong way. You know to, what I mean? You know what I'm immediately thinking right now? Yeah. The reason our society functions so much on this polar end of good and bad, and we don't really talk about the gray, is because the gray, I don't think, is as profitable as, as the absolutes. 100%. Like, for instance, I was going for, to, but I didn't want for to. For instance, dude, it. like, for instance, something like breathing, something like massaging, something like learning how to, to grow your own uh, fruits and vegetables, something like. Yeah learning how to know if this water is is potable or not like these things are not really things that are like really profitable oh no i'm broke like, so that's broke why that's why there's this lack of intimacy between the mind body spirit that's why we're all kind of scattered mm-hmm. because all our all that we think about is the system the system being you go to school 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 then you graduate then you're looking to get a job and then you're looking to get a family then you're looking to have kids and then you tell your kids to do the same thing that you did and so there's this lack of intimacy of the internal self. Which is better self. 
which is better than than dying in the street exactly yeah mm-hmm. so it's all from the perspective of like but then it's so funny because then you know it goes in cycles right like people you go from survival to like a homeostasis but then there's injustices in that homeostasis and then they're willing to go die in the street to restore that does that you are you following me like i'm thinking of like the uh it just, I'm thinking of, did you see Judas and the Black Messiah, the movie? No, no. It's a really, oh man, it's a powerful film, um, but it, it really does, it just follows the Black Panther Party and just like the inner wars and the inner conflicts of the people who are experiencing that movement and like what was the destined, like what the goals and the, and the challenges were so different for each person who was involved in the same office building for the same movement, but each one of them had their own journey as to where they wanted to take this, you know, or to how it, how it was going to impact their survival. So like, I, I try to, I think the binary is really useful for survival and the binary is very useful for basic stuff and like mechanics but it's not so useful for complex organisms and human relationships. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even thinking about in my own family, um, um, one of my, my, my sister is, is non-binary gender, non-binary. And um, that's been like an absolute trip for my parents. Right because I laid some context out for them, right? They, they grew up in a binary world. So it's not that they're bad people per se, that they don't, they don't believe in a non-binary gender identity. Mm-hmm. There's a shitty quality to continuing to latch on to your current beliefs because you'd rather hold on to your beliefs than like love someone in your family for who they are. There's some conflict there. Right. But that's not, you don't, you don't, you don't um, change a belief by, you don't change a belief with like more anger and more violence. Right. But there's been like his spending time with Mo. Mo is my, my sibling. Um, your brother. My, uh, my, my sister who is like transitioning. Mm-hmm. um they have shown me some incredible youtube channels of these non-binary people and non-binary thinkers and how they're they're creating incredibly thoughtful inspirational artistic content that is so good it's more about val- it's so good bro and it's free and two of the people and maybe maybe you can i'll send you links to them after the show but the two channels that i really have loved are contrapoints and CJ the X, and there are these. They're they're two, and they're but they do these at they these they do these like video essays that are like ve- that are so about certain topics mm-hmm. that are very artistic and very thoughtful and incredibly provoking and engaging, and really change the way. If you're open to it, they'll really like change the way you kind of relate to like non-binary people Mm -hmm. and like that perspective of the world 
right? And it really does, you know, get you feeling like, wow, we are like transitioning as a society to something. We don't know what it is, but we are trans, like, this is a, there's like, this is like a definitive moment in time, like a period in time where like the smartphone technology became mainstream and it's like fundamentally changing. It's like fundamentally transitioning people's bodies, emotions, their mind to something, whether or not it's healthy or not is up for discussion. It's a both and, right? Like you can simultaneously use YouTube to completely change your inner world and the way, and like learn how to do stuff in the outer world, you know, and you can also get caught up on Instagram mindlessly scrolling for five hours a day which is not going to enable you to do any of those things that you wanted to do. It's just going to destroy your energy. That kind of brings me into like my, um, the, you at, you said like, what's your message for the human race or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's not my, I, I have a, I, I have like two quotes that are combined. I kind of combined them because I thought they went well together, but mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have a message for the human race. Cause I think that's kind of presumptuous. Like I, I just have a message for people who like are open to it. I guess, or who like you and me, like you and me are having a conversation, like you're going to be open to the message that I put out. Maybe someone who listens to this will be, we'll look back on it in, in 15 years and be like, man, maybe that was a really good message for the time, mm-hmm. you know, and my, I'm going to pull it up right now, okay. but I think it has a lot to do with. Uh... Okay. Is my camera still on? Uh, no. Okay. It just says your name. Okay, let me see. You mind uh, while you're doing that, I'm going to go use the bathroom real quick. Yeah, man, absolutely. I'll be right back. You there, Paul? Yes, sir. Yeah, just context for you and the audience too. Like, I've been like going to the bathroom a lot, like peeing. Like, obviously, this is my second time during the podcast, but just like yesterday as well, I probably went to the bathroom like countless amount of times. And I think I think it's because on Friday and on Saturday... I drank a decent amount of alcohol, so I, I don't know how long alcohol takes to get out of your system, but I feel like that might be it. That could be part of it. Also, there's an element here. I've been learning about this with my work in um, functional patterns is that just because you drink a lot of water doesn't mean you're hydrating your body. Hydration mm. is not necessarily... Uh, what you drink it's what your body absorbs mm-hmm. if you have tissues if you have tissues in your in your muscles if you have tissue like your structure your structure your fascia your muscles your organs if you have restrictions if you have restrictions if you don't move well um if there's any sort of restrictions in your system they that's where water that's a dehydrated tissue it's not absorbing water Mm. right so through um myofascial release and through movement you can actually reopen tissues your spine your diaphragm um all of your muscles in your body you can open them up and fill them with water 
and it also can be minerals as well. So, minerals. so let's so let's say, for instance, let's say my body is currently opening up, right? A bunch of tissue that's been dehydrated for a long time is now starting to open up. Would it then logically make sense that oh, I, uh, like right now, I feel like drinking more water because my these parts of my body that could not receive water now they're open to receive water, so I have a larger reservoir to to need water. Correct, correct, and it also, I mean, thirst, thirst and hydration. Like you could be thirsty and you could drink water and still be thirsty because like that water, you're not, you don't, you have a mineral imbalance. Mm. So like, if you don't have enough magnesium bicarbonate or potassium or sodium, um, like the right, like, you know, a lot more about metabolism and nutrients than me, but if those things are, if that's those, all those things play a delicate balance with each other. If just one of them is off and you're getting too much of the other, like you're going to want more water, but then a lot of the water we have, it might actually have, you know, you have a filter there. That's good. Sometimes like even it needs, filter, an, it needs a new filter though. It's just been yeah, like sometimes, <laughs> sometimes there's like acids, sometimes there's acids or contaminants in water. That's on a micro level. Like you won't taste it. You might not even feel it, but it might actually leach certain nutrients from your body, or it might just be I don't know. It's a delicate balance. Like I drink a lot of, uh, just like some of the nutritional things I've been following lately, like Ray Pete, um, Matt Blackburn, Dr. Jack Cruz. They talk a lot about just like nurturing cells. Mm-hmm. And like, what does your cell need? What do your cells need? Like that's in accordance. Cause a lot of the people I follow from a health perspective, whether it's like, you know, the biomechanics with like, you know, people like functional patterns or flowability um, or Dr. Adarian Barr, you know, they have an alternative alternative view of biomechanics, but it's all according to like a human blueprint. Like your bones are set up in a very specific way. You should move them in a certain way and you should train them in a certain way. And we, for thousands of years, we've been walking, throwing and running and jumping training should orient around that if you actually want to have longevity and, and reorient and be out of pain and rehydrate. But along with that comes nutrition and hydration. Are you eating food? Are you getting nutrients from that food? Is that food natural to your natural to your environment? Or are you eating food that's good for the for the stressors that you're encountering? This is why I hate diets. Because diets are fatally flawed in this way. When you demonize like a macronutrient, you're going to create disease in the body, no matter what. And there's a context for everything, right? If you look, but the fact of the matter is you're still a human. Humans have evolved to live underneath the sun and to sleep and to walk. Like there are very, there are, there are characteristics for every human that like we're, we're suited to do some things more than other things. Mm-hmm. And like we need, we evolved on carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And depending on the context of, of where you live now or what you're doing, you might need more of those than others, depending on the season or depending on the circumstance, but we need glucose. Like the body needs glucose to function and to come and to feed the brain and to combat stress. And like, you know, this in metabolism, it doesn't matter if you eat only protein and fat, eventually 
it's all gonna, some of it's gonna get turned into glucose or your muscle's gonna waste away and get converted into glucose, right? Like you spent a year, I would love to talk to you about this, but you spent a year of your life studying the metabolism, mm-hmm. right? And you know how complicated it is. So it cannot be as simple as like, we need to go keto, bro, or like paleo or no sugar or no fats. That's so, that's done so much more damage than good, I think, just because of the rebounding effect of, of what it's done. Like it's created diet cults and communities and cultures and like, you know, it feeds into people's egos and, you know, false moralities about this way to eat is morally superior to this way of eating, right? Not accounting for all the factors. Um, yeah, the metabolism is something I'm really interested in now. I wasn't ready to learn about it. I wasn't ready to learn about it four years ago in the way it was being taught to me. But now I'm like intensely curious of, because I, I really do believe though in like, it, also there's like a genetic component to like nutrition, like an ancestral component, right? I'm kind of laying down all the factors and then we can dive in. But like, um, um, for example, dear Dre, Dre, she did her 23andMe test. There are 700 generations of her matrilineal DNA that's here in like North America and on Turtle Island, Central America. 700 generations of matrilineal DNA, which means her entire bloodline evolved in a tr- in basically a tropical environment, ate, ate lots of food in that environment, uh, had that solar, had that sun exposure, right? Versus someone like me, I haven't done my 23andMe yet, but I know like I have this Northern European ancestry, right? At what point in my like evolutionary genetics did my ancestors eat an avocado? Mm. You have to think about that. Like, does it, does it make sense if you're like a Northern, you have like Northern European ancestry, you're like a white, like our mitochondria, me and Deirdre's mitochondria work differently. My mitochondria evolved to keep me warm, to put fat on my bones because I lived in like the woods with snow and she lived in the tropics, right? So her mitochondria is meant to process more carbohydrates and to keep her cool. She doesn't do as well in the cold as I do. I enjoy like, I do better with cold therapy. Like I, I do well in the cold. I run hot. That's what my metabolism does. Like I, I, can, I'm, I can't even wear like long sleeve shirts in public because I sweat through them. Right. Cause my metabolism is meant, I mean, I'm just, you, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So does it make sense for someone like me, if I live in like Boston to be a fruitarian, <laughs> does it make sense to eat pineapple and bananas and avocados? Like, and it doesn't, does that make sense to eat if you live in like Boston in December? You could look at the fruit. You could look at all that. I mean, Dr. Jack Cruz talks a lot about this as far as like the photonic element of food. Like all food is breaks down into protons, electrons. It has a photonic signature. And those protons and electrons and neutrons match up. Like those nutrients match up with mitochondria in your cell eventually at some point. 
like mm -hmm. all those nutrient, all those nutrients in the food somehow meet up with the cells in your body. Right. And those cells and the, the metabolism, like there's, there's certain, I, I don't know the science enough to speak with authority on it, but I, I can feel and understand the concept is like, okay, when the sun is, is hot, when the sun is really powerful in the summertime and stuff grows, stuff is growing, cars are growing in the summertime. We are, we are spending more time outside. Therefore, we are in more synergy with that food at that time, right? Versus someone who might be eating a lot of fruit like if someone's eating a lot of tropical fruits and you live in like Saskatchewan in December, you're probably going to put on some body fat because you're, you're, you, you, you the, the glucose and the proton and the neutrons and the photon photonic signature is not going to match up with what your body is receiving from nature at that time. So there's a mismatch, right? Even though we say bananas are healthy for you, pineapples are healthy for you, strawberries are healthy for you, but in what context? And also were those pineapples you know, grown with like sewage water and have pesticides sprayed all over them. Right. That's why I go, I, this takes me all the way back to that nutrition class where the girl asked, are eggs good or bad? And he didn't answer the question. He, well, he should have, he did answer the question, but he should have answered that question with like 30 questions. And that would have taught everybody in the room so much more than like this binary question of, is this egg good or bad? You know, you really have to look at modern life, modern life. We have so many stressors in modern life, our electronic exposure, you know, the EMFs in the power grid and in Wi-Fi. we have stress, we have traffic, we have exercise, you know, there's so much, man. It's really overwhelming to think about and to do your research on because it can consume, it can overwhelm you and you, and that, and that's, that's a stress in itself being overwhelmed. <laughs> being overwhelmed about are you eating the right foods like are you doing the right diet or you know are you eating for health whatever but and, um and then in, in all that concern you're affecting your diet more than more than you'll ever get benefit from all that research possibly <laughs> correct correct and then also you're probably stressing out your family and friends by being all like one-sided about it you know mm -hmm. so like i've i've learned to be a little more balanced in the last couple of years of like all right I need to learn some fundamentals about like, okay, like the kind of like the 80, 20 rule or whatever, 80% mm -hmm. of what you do is more important than like the 20%. Like try to just build like some foundational habits that are kind of in alignment with the human blueprint and with nature's blueprint and, um, you know, take different environmental contexts into account, you know, whether you're not, whether or not, like if you do a lot of sprints and, jumps and throws and you're really active you need glucose right your body will crave it if it doesn't get it it's going to make it out of something else you know um it's just how we we evolved like we spent thousands of i don't know how many thousands of years just like walking around looking for fruit <laughs> because it's the best it's the best energy like honey honey you know um even milk man like Milk's gotten a bad rap for good reasons the last couple of years, just because of how bastardized um, commercial dairy has become and just, you know, nut milk alternatives have def definitely have their own agenda as far as profit and stuff like that. But my dad grew up on raw milk 
my dad lived here on this ranch, like in the middle of rural Oregon and down the street, the far, the farmer down the road had a cow and my fam, my dad used to go by, they used to drink 10 gallons of raw milk per week as a family. Wow. Just from the cow down the road, you know, on the grass. One cow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That cow, they used to buy, you know, the milk from that cow and that cow just grazed on the grass out here. And my dad, and grew up on raw milk and lived out here in the country. And he, you know, he never missed a day of school because of like sickness. Like everybody got like, you know, the seasonal, the seasonal, like really bad seasonal flu or even like measles back in the day. Like measles used to be a pretty regular thing, but kids would get it and they'd recover after a few days. Some of the observations my dad made was like, yeah, there weren't really any, like, none of us had like any problems with like, you know, um, obesity or diabetes or some of the chronic conditions or allergies that Mm -hmm. a lot of kids deal with today. But like my dad, just like they drank raw milk growing up and raw. And when you really, if you dive into Ray Pete and you, and you look into like what raw milk has, raw milk actually has all of the enzymes. It's a living food. It's a living food and you just have to be very diligent and show some concern about when, when you're buying like a living food like that, like any sort of raw dairy product, you have to pay a lot of attention to the factors that went into making that food. Is that cow healthy? Was it treated in, what was it fed? You know, what was all of this? Like has, how has this been stored? You know, cause a living food has a lot more variability to it you know, as to how it affects your gut bacteria and your immune system and all that. But generally it's the, you know, it's the pasteurized milk at the store, the 1% to 2% from these antibiotic grain fed cows in a slaughterhouse somewhere, you know, God knows where that that's the, the milk they're pumping out has been stripped of all of the beneficial enzymes and the probiotics. And now you're just getting like this white watery protein beverage that can be pretty inflammatory for a lot of people. And I think is is that because of the stress hormones that the cows are having because of the environment that they were raised in? Uh, That's part of it. It's part of it. That's on a more micro level. than I think just like lactase and lactose enzymes, like raw milk, um, people are lactose intolerant because they lack, they can't, they cannot deal they don't have the lactase enzymes in their body to break down lactose effectively. So they get all sorts of symptoms, dietary, like digestive symptoms, skin symptoms, stuff like that. But a lot of that's not just like the dairy is causing that. A lot of it also has to do with other factors on the body that are affecting the digestive system. Right. And um, so, yeah, like I had never had raw milk before, but growing up, Growing up, I never really had any problems drinking like store-bought milk. Thank God. I was breastfed. I think that has a big part to do with it as well. Like whether you were breastfed by your mother or put on formula has a huge impact on your health. I've studied a lot of also like what does a prenatal health, like the, the nutrition that you got in the womb and, and as well as in your first three years of life, how that affects your digestion and the foods that you do well on and stuff like that. So I just, I didn't get into raw milk until, cause I got, I totally went on the anti-dairy train for like four or five years. Cause I didn't know any better. I just knew that like all I had experienced was 
all I had experienced was just milk from the store. And then I had people who I trust and I had it on my cereal, you know, I drink it with brownies or whatever I had it, you know, and um, I liked chocolate milk, but then, you know, I had pe well-intentioned people telling me, oh my God, like the dairy is so inflammatory. There's all that sugar, you know, you don't even have the lactase enzymes anymore. Once you're a full adult, you shouldn't drink it. I didn't really stop and research like, oh no, like there are full societies have like evolved just drinking goat milk and cow milk that they raised. It's like, that's like one of the first things that you give, like organizations will give like quote unquote, like this is, that's a whole loaded subject about like charities giving animals to, or giving, you know, help to, you know, uh, people in countries who need it. But if you want to jumpstart a village, you give them a cow. Basically, if you want to jumpstart, if you want to jumpstart an ad, like um, um, a group of people, you know, building up, um, you know, their agriculture or their ecology or their nutrition, you give them, you give them goats, cows, chickens, because if you've done, if you've, if you study it enough, you realize that goats, cows, and chickens really play a vital part in building up topsoil and, and building um, human nutrition if they're managed and treated appropriately. What we have a crisis of in the mainstream is people demonizing the animals, but not demonizing the CEOs and all of the overtakers who manage the environment around the animals. Mm. And pork, pork is probably the worst one. I actually worked on a pig farm during COVID. I went out and worked on a pig farm for like a month and just studied it and just sat in it and just did my thing. And like pigs will just, pigs are pigs. Pigs will do what pigs do. But if you manage them and give them the respect and all the stuff that they need, they will be incredibly healthy, robust. They will not abuse the earth. But if you don't do that thing, if you don't give animals the, the things that they need to thrive and to actually, it requires like daily management and, and rotational practices and all this stuff you can look into. It's not, it's not possible in the it's possible on a very small level, but um, land access is an issue. That's a stack. That's a, you know, a socioeconomic racial systemic issue as well. Um, I feel like I'm kind of getting, I'm getting back to milk, back to milk. <laughs> I started drinking raw milk um, earlier this year and like, I had no problem digesting it at all. And what's really crazy, Deirdre, she's been lactose intolerant forever. Mm -hmm. And she was drinking, we were drinking like coconut milk and oat milk and soy milk and just trying all the different nut milks. We still felt like crap. She found um, a, a lady through her mom's work that has a goat that milks the goats and she was getting raw goat milk. She started drinking that and it actually helped her go to the bathroom more. Mm -hmm. It actually, it didn't just, it didn't, it did not hurt her digestion at all. It actually improved her digestion. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if was, it was really, she would come by, she does like goat milk, cacao and raw honey. Hmm. Like, a shake. like that's a legit milkshake, dude. Yeah. That sounds fun. <laughs> forget, forget this McDonald's shit, like high fructose corn syrup, you know, fake colors, flavors. No, no, no. A real milkshake, like whole milk that's fresh and raw honey and cacao. Like most people have never tasted that. 
they've never experienced that feeling in their mouth and what that can do to your bodies. And you start small. You don't, you don't start with like a tall milkshake and, or like a gallon a, a day or whatever. You know, I started off on like two to four ounces a day, just so wow. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I was like a shot glass. Basically. I did that for like a week just so I wouldn't freak anything out, but I wanted to give my, my, my microbiome and my gut um, that time to kind of yeah, acclimate, I guess. be like, Whoa, Whoa, what is this? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, you know, raw. So now we're like really into it. We're like, really, we're looking, I started getting um, like raw cow milk at the at sprouts. Mm-hmm. Haven't found a, haven't found a cow yet in, in LA that I can trust or that I've built a relationship with, but um, you know, the raw milk from sprouts has been really good. Um, it's a, it's a, full it's a full um yeah i've been doing like that um deer, i don't like cheese but Deirdre started doing like raw cheese mm-hmm. and that's been like amazingly delicious and really really nice basically all the problems that we were told that we would have consuming animal products it's just not true if you consume the right animal products right but when you when you uh, that's why this buy. That's why I'm so passionate about that egg question, because nobody's asking. Well, like, what kind of egg is it? Mm-hmm. You know that, like, an egg, a pastured egg, like an egg that comes from, um, like a like a happy, healthy chicken from a green pasture, like in my backyard. You mm-hmm. crack that egg open, and it's got a dark orange yolk. Mm-hmm. It's got a dark orange yolk. It's got like a a very like bouncy like um almost like t- like tan egg white mm, you know? it's and not it's, just clear it bounces in the pan and it stays like this because the protein content is so high it doesn't it doesn't like hit the pan and like like a like an egg that you buy in like a dozen eggs at like winco for like a dollar 50 or something like that you crack that egg it's like a pale yellow yolk the egg white just splatters all over everywhere yep all over the place that egg doesn't have like we've I've, I've I've done research on like I think it was the University of Virginia in 2010. They did like um, a pastured egg from like Polyface Farm from Joel Sutton's farm in, in um, Virginia. It had like six times the vitamin E, six times like all of the nutrient like you got more nutrients in one pastured egg than you did six eggs from like the conventional farm. That's wow. not the same food. We call this an egg and we call this an egg, but one of these eggs is like a global climate disaster and a nutritionally like voided food. Or one of these is like a food that you could like, that is like so full of life, is so full of nutrients. And like the way that I treat those chickens out there, like they they actually act as, they're, they actually are carbon um, neutral because they actually eat all the grass. So I don't have to mow the lawn. They turn that grass into compost. They, they do so many things. This is like, just got to spend an afternoon, you know, studying regenerative agriculture. And it all depends on the context of where you live. And it's a huge, the biggest, the biggest problem is just like, um, we have a lot of land in this country that is not being used appropriately. And that's just because of access. Like a lot of people own a lot of, a lot of, there's a small group of really rich white people who own a lot of land and they only use that land 
for like one profitable purchase purpose. Mm. And that creates the monoculture that creates the topsoil erosion. You know, we have food deserts in cities because everybody's crammed together because they can't go, they can't spread out and live somewhere where they can, you know, just like walk around and it's very complicated and multifaceted, but I have found, um, animal products. I'm, I definitely, I, I'm not a vegan. I wouldn't, I would never identify as anything like people who identify as vegans, I think kind of limit themselves to, and then their vegan food, they limit themselves to that identity and that ideology without realizing that, you know, there are many different ways to actually integrate animals into saving the planet. Not, they're not just this, yeah, we should be ending, we should be ending, um, the atrocities, the atrocities of, of, um, commercial pork, commercial beef and commercial chickens are very real. You just got to go on YouTube for 20 minutes and look at, take a look inside these, these slaughterhouses, these factory farms, they're an atrocity to mankind. Um, they're, they're causing sickness, but it's like, it's what we've created to meet, meet a demand. People want people. It's, it's, it's so complicated, man. But like back to the, to, to like um, the vegan identity is that I've seen a lot of people like get, especially when I'm bringing it back to biomechanics and like people building up a healthy body, like you need collagen, you need collagen, you need vitamin K, vitamin E, vitamin A, vitamin B, all of those, all the vitamins that you need to build a robust connective tissue structure for most people is found in high quality animal products or animal based supplements. Um, and a lot of like, I, I kind of want to go back to the nut milks. Like a lot of the nut milks can contain a lot of oxidized polyunsaturated fatty acids. You know, you you look at the, at the label, right? Rapes, uh, grapeseed oil or um, canola oil, all these things. The polyunsaturated fatty acids, when they get oxidized in the human body, especially the vegetable oils, like mm-hmm. they cause inflammation. They cause inflammation in the liver. Um, it, it, it can disrupt your thyroid gland. Like it, it, yeah, it might be more ethical in a sense, but it's like you're, you can be ethical towards animals without destroying your own health and making like just an alternative, like uh, you, corporations, there's these nut milks are corporations as well. They're just as, it's not like we're, <laughs> we're, we're solving any problems ecologically by just shifting from a cow milk factory to a nut milk factory, other than you having a sense of satisfaction about like, okay, we saved the lives of those like a couple thousand cows, right? But did you really? I don't know. So, and then, you know, soy, uh, there's, uh, this has well been well documented. I'm not going to try to be able to get all preachy about it, but I'm trying to appeal to, there is a way, there is a way to integrate all of us, all life forms. There's a way to integrate all of us with the technology that we have. I'm not anti-technology. I'm anti-abusing technology. We can use the technology we have now, the wisdom of the past, and all of the life forms, we can integrate that intentionally. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of patience and it takes a lot of humility, 
but you can just do the start doing that in your own life. You don't have to get overwhelmed by like the societal umbrella because you can't really change what the hell someone else is doing in halfway across the country, but you can change yourself. You can change what you do in your room, you know, like you got a plant back there. I like that you've gotten, you've made some, I've been watching some of your content. I'm seeing you're making connections, the plants, you know, I see you honoring like the things that you, you, you're, you're much more like, um, you're much more like open-minded about what food can do for you and what, um, being in nature can do for you and how you interact with it. I think that's a big step. You might not know all the specifics. You might not be articulating it like intellectually speaking or whatever. You're not an expert, but like, you're not, you're being conscious as to where you're not letting, you're not being abusive towards creatures or plants or to yourself. And you're not letting other people manipulate you into whatever agenda you know, so like, that's like, I think that kind of goes back to the water thing you were talking about the, 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 what, what was it? The wa, the, the, the wu way, wu way, right. The wu way, like being the still water, but then also knowing when to, when to be the, be the roaring river. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's what I've, that's just a taste of uh, what I love California. Cause you got great citrus. Oh my God. Citrus is so great. I love it. I love fresh squeezed orange juice. Like it's, it's one of the purest forms of like glucose, the nutrients, the whole food, vitamin C. It's amazing. Like anyone who doesn't, I mean, God, just being present with that in the morning, like when I've been like cutting open the orange and juicing it and then like putting some, some Icelandic flake salt in the, in the OJ and some coconut water and stirring that up and sipping on that. And just, it tastes so good, dude. And like, that has brought me so much joy, making a glass of fucking orange juice. Like, come on, man. All right, come so real on. quick, um, I'm, uh, I mean, the audience comes from different parts, but I guess California, but also, I mean, you've been around the United States quite a bit. What would be your recommendation in terms of like store to go to to buy good food products or... Um, maybe your advice for like um, farmer's markets or things like that. You know, we've been talking about all these things of yeah. all the things you just mentioned. So what's something maybe, practical. I mean, you've already mentioned a lot of practical tips for the audience, but in terms of like actually purchasing food, what's like practical advice for, for maybe someone who may be listening? Well, it's really tough. It all depends on like, who do you live with? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, do you live by yourself? Do you have like total control over, what goes in your pantry or your fridge? You know, do you, do you live with your family? Do you guys cook together? Do, do, you know, food is really emotionally tied to a lot of things, to a lot of customs, culture, tradition. It's really, you know, and it's taste. And you know, this, you probably dove in this a lot, like people's taste buds change based on what they've been feeding themselves the past few years. Right. So, and, um, the food industry is really good at making hyper palatable food that like issues a dopamine response and triggers like an addiction to a particular food. So changing a lot, trying to change a lot of what you eat overnight in one false swoop is just a recipe for either 
if not, you know, failure, then just some emotional blowback from the people in your family. Mm-hmm. I would definitely, and I've learned that a lot just from my experience and alienating people and being too righteous in one way or the other. So I just think about adding. Now I'm all about just adding in, like stop buying. Think about the, the worst thing. Think about not the worst, but think about like probably the most destructive nutritional tendency you have and try to cut back on that and then add in like something that's going to be really packed full of nutrients. So like the farmer's mark, you can't really get in California, in California, you can get raw dairy products at like a sprout. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really high quality, um, for the most part. And you just have to experiment, um, a little bit, uh, if you like, for example, right. Uh, Deirdre loves quesadillas, mm-hmm. loves them, but, a, but, a but, a like a, a conventional quesadilla is like what, like a white corn tortilla and then like the bag of shredded cheese from the fridge and you melt it and stuff like that. Ah, there's a lot of preservatives in that. Like it's delicious. It, it'll, it'll be, it's, it's going to taste really good. Like you and your family might bond over that, you know, and you can still do that. What we did, um, what she ended up doing was instead of like a white, like a white flour tortilla and like the bag of shredded cheese from like Winco, she got um, like a cassava grain, a cassava tortilla, which had less preservatives and it was a grain free. Uh, it was like a wheat free flour-free tortilla. And then she took the raw cheese from the sprouts and like sliced it and melted it. And that quesadilla was so much tastier than the first quesadilla. Hmm. So we actually enhanced the family practice and added in nutrients. So it's not about coming at it from a place of guilt or negativity or fear. We need to stop eating this. It's bad for us. It's not good. That is all true. But for human purposes, for change psychology purposes, for feeling good about making the decision, you have to just, I think it's like, you have to show someone like, Hey, can we try it with this? I bet you'll like it a lot. It's like, it's, they'll be like, Oh my God, you don't even have to tell them that you can just do it and then give it to them and they'll taste it. And they'll be like, wow, this is so much flavor. Like, and it didn't like, you know, make me, I didn't feel that pit in the bottom of my stomach, you know, 45 minutes after eating it. Think about how many positive things we just introduced, you know, in that one scenario, you know, even if it's like, maybe you uh, supplement with like whey protein or something like that. Um, You could, like, this is what I do now. I used to have like, you know, grass fed, uh, I used to have a grass fed whey protein powder and I'd make that for my like workout shake or just for like a meal replacement, you know, mm-hmm. I don't buy the protein powder anymore. I just make sure I have a gallon of raw milk in the fridge. And I know that's, that's like a, that's like a complete protein. protein it's, got, it's got the fat, it's got the protein, it's got the carbohydrate and they're all working together with vitamin K, vitamin E, vitamin A. And then I blend in cacao, which is better than like cocoa powder processed with alcohol. It's better than like, you know, if it's raw cacao, you're going to get magnesium. You're going to get stuff. And like, I buy like my cacao, I bought like a five pound bag of raw cacao on Amazon for like $20. If you go to like a Whole Foods or a Sprouts, they'll give you like a tiny little container and it's like $9, right? So you can buy stuff in bulk. Um, you could even, and then like honey, man, I love, bees are so important. 
like I love that bees are coming into the limelight the last 10 years because they are so important. And honey is like such, I don't know if have you studied honey at all and like looked at how awesome of a of us. Uh just recently that that same dude who I mentioned earlier, Saguru, I think that's how you pronounce his name, but he's a spiritual teacher, but of course he talks about nutrition too, because that's such a important thing. Um, and he was talking about how new, how honey is actually very similar to the to our to how our blood looks like, like I think from a scientific point. Interesting. Yeah, and he was saying how like there used to be a tribe that would basically consume like three fourths liter of honey before they would go out to like hunt and gather whatever, yeah. and then they would literally go like the entire day of just running, climbing, throwing with the energy of that honey. And I think he said, like, you know, if, if they were like catching something and something dripped on them, they could lick on that. And that would be another snack, I guess. Yes. Um, but then they would yeah. come back to their to their look to their wherever they would gather and then they would eat like cereal at night, you know. But it was just he was talking about how how good honey actually is. And, and that part really resonated with me. Like right. I mentioned to you earlier, like for me. I think now I'm starting to shift where I can because like my mind was so like just kind of in this very convoluted place so i I went super simple and i I don't know maybe that's just who i am i like the simplicity of the way things are but just that simple way of him explaining it how honey is very similar to our blood like that for me was like and then that example of the tribe i was like that for me is is so much motivation to care about honey you know i love i love that story you just told man like that's so that's like an incredible story that tells a lot about just it means a lot. Like, that's a great, I'm really glad you told that story. I'm really glad that you connected to it because that's more important the way I don't need to do a 30 minute lecture on the nutritional benefits of honey. That story you told in 30 seconds is more, (laughs) is is a better story. It's, it's, it felt good to hear it and it was effective for you. And I think that's the case for most people. Like, you would have probably have, I know that you got the dietetics degree, but I feel like that story you just told would probably be more impactful on people than explaining them like the relationship of the glucose to the fructose, to the, to the, you know, the ecological consequences of what bees can do for the environment. There's different ways to reach people. And I love how you just reached, you used that story to reach me in a different way, to reach inside yourself. Like, um, but yeah, so just like those three things together, oh my God, like in a shake with a little ice, few ice cubes, like that's like the most, one of the most satisfying things I've ever drank. And when you really start to nourish your body with those sugars that come from nature, you don't crave the junk in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest obstacle I think is like literally these stores are designed for you. If you go into a grocery store hungry, you're going to walk out with junk. They're designed to capture your attention in various aspects and to have sales and different colors. And they, you buy stuff. I do it all the time. I still do it. Even though I know I still do it, you know? And And um, it's interesting because, you know, kind of not to just get stuck on this concept, but I do feel like the yin and the yang concept for me, I don't know, it just brings so much clarity in almost any, in almost in any example or context that you want to look at. Because for instance, like one thing, because something that I would happen to me and my brother really helped me to get away from this. You know, he told me the other day, he's like, Christian, like, you know, things don't have to be absolute. Things don't have to be black and white. Like it could be gray. For instance, like 
I would do something and I noticed that it was kind of affecting me. So then I would go absolute. Like I I, I did it for myself for like a, a few days where I was like, All right, I feel like if I just have the opportunity to work out wherever, like I'm always working out. So I'm going to keep working out to the garage or outside. And then it was just all these different things. That's just one example. And then it was just this very kind of emotional conversation. And this was like about a month ago when I was going through this period of kind of connecting myself more to the external. I was very like internal, but I wasn't allowing myself kind of how you mentioned earlier about just letting yourself feel the anger and elaborating it, it through words and being able to maybe get the validation from another person and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of doing that. I was finally talking about the things that were actually going on inside of me. And I was elaborating it through these words that we have. And I was talking to my brother. My brother happens to be an individual. I see him like a teacher. I see him that someone who's very aligned with the way that nature functions, um, all these different things. And my brother whole, like heard me say everything I said. And it was and I know we're kind of deviating from what we're talking about. No, no, I, keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Like he told me, like, Christian, like, it doesn't have to be black and white. You can go gray. Like, you know, like you don't have to. Oh, I could only work out outside or I can only work out inside or. You know, it doesn't have, there could be gray. And so ultimately what I came to realize is that the thing that was ultimately affecting me was that I wasn't allowing my thoughts, like my emotions and my thoughts to merge and make uh, elaboration on the way I was feeling in words. Instead, I was kind of just trying to feel the feeling, but not allowing the feeling to become words. And the thing was, is because I think before my emotions were very attached to external, either people or concepts. But now through all the work that I've done, I've actually like in a way brought all the power back to myself. So now I could fuse my thoughts or my intellect and my emotions. And it actually doesn't come out to be something bad. It's actually something very uh, logical, but also emotional with that conviction. And now that I just allow myself to think whatever I want to think, then I find this like I can be in any situation and I feel fine. Like even, for instance, during this podcast, we've had these moments, but I've been moving around and I've been eating my fucking piece of toast and I've been drinking my water and I've been, I've been <laughs> shifting. My, I've it's been shifting. Man, I get it. I get it. You know? Yeah. But it's funny because if I said, no, I need to be focused on Paul hundred percent. Like I can't take my eyes off of him. My concentration from you would actually be taken away. Like I'm coming to mm-hmm. realize how powerful the human mind actually is. Like we are like this and you know, there's been that saying of like the human brain is more powerful than any computer. Like I really think it is because honestly, you can be here right now having this conversation at the same time you can have thought about, Oh, the conversation I'm gonna have later with Drea and this and that. And like, but if you don't resist any of it and if your energy is actually all within you, then all of these things could be happening and you're still very present to the conversation. And strangely enough, like, I don't know, there's like all these different ideas of like what concentration is and what all these things are. But there's no d- definitive way of all this having to be like I might have the capacity to do these things, but other people might have the capacity where like their mind is just very quiet and they do just solo concentrate. But I don't know. It's, it's just so fascinating. Like, you know, that same spiritual teacher, Sagru, he's like, people want to not overthink. He's like animals like you have the gift of being able to intellectually analyze and think like, why would you want to like think le- like Obviously, I understand what people are going with that. Like, I know what it means to overthink because that is you kind of going back to the pain body. It's all this emotional trauma and it's very chaotic and there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of stress hormones. Like there is that form of overthinking. But in reality, if you are able to bring all the power back within yourself, then there is no more such thing as overthinking. It is only thinking. 
that is the problem. And I think that needs to be elaborated <laughs> on because otherwise people go into that psycho loop where they're like, oh, well, I'm overthinking. So now you're fucking panicking even more because you think you're overthinking. But the reality is, is that all you need to do is manipulate your environment so that you're actually in a healthy environment. And you're not consuming so much information that's just kind of fucking with your psyche. Like you're just like a plant. You're just like the animals you were mentioning. Like you yeah. need to create a healthy ecosystem. And once you create that healthy lifestyle or that healthy environment, like everything naturally starts to happen. We know how to walk properly. We know how to throw properly. We just need to give ourselves the environment that we need. Getting the sunlight, getting the proper nutrition, you know, not sitting down for fucking a million hours and like, you know, but everything yeah. just nature is already like the divine energy it just is divine you don't necessarily need to like like it's not this thing where you need to like have the perfect everything needs to come to balance in this perfect moment like no everything nature just works in like this perfect imperfect way without anything like there's really no energy that's required you know and uh, fuck yeah i'm gonna keep going on this rant because i feel like i got it in me like Ultimately, when you really think about your existence, I am I have thoughts, right? And I've been I've been talking to myself. I have thoughts, I have emotions, and um thoughts, emotions, and I have all the senses that this physical body enables me to have, which is all the different ones, the smell, the taste, the feeling, whatever. But you're basically your whole life experience is limited to these things that I just mentioned, right? So then you have to think to yourself, well, what is the whole purpose of this whole thing? And then well, you know, we all want to be happy. We all want to have internal peace, internal stability. And, you know, I mean, you could say otherwise, but I think the reality is, is that that's pretty much what everybody wants. And, you know, how is it? I think that that internal stability and that kind of peacefulness comes from that kind of Wu Wei concept that I was mentioning, that pacifist combined with that aggressiveness or conviction. And so you have to think to yourself, well, how can I get myself to that point? Well, mm. you essentially... The reason people don't like to think is because they're thinking about things that they don't care about. They're thinking about things that are not relevant. They're thinking about things that, that don't align with their actual beliefs. So first of all, you need to realize that you need to reflect on yourself, man, I haven't been feeling too good when I go to work. I haven't been feeling too good about this relationship. I haven't been feeling too good being on this team because they don't align and blah, 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 whatever, whatever. And then, but then when you think about it, when you actually do something that you give a fuck about, when you're doing something day and night that you actually love and care about, then you can think about it all day, every day. And there's going to be no resistance towards it because this is just what you like. And um, yeah, it's just kind of that simple. Like I could keep going, but it really comes down to that simple. Like you need to be mm -hmm. aware of how you actually feel, be truly honest with yourself and consistently manipulate your environment to be healthier for you because then you could completely be free. You can completely be free. And when you are completely free, you're actually accepting of death because in essence, like, I don't know, that's just something, I mean, this is kind of deeper than what it is, but I mean, people are so <laughs> afraid of death because, because they think they're going to run out of time and, oh man, I haven't been able to accomplish this or that. But when you're actually doing what you want, you don't have to be afraid of dying because you are like, you're actually living. Like there's no sense of, like you're okay with death when you're doing exactly what you want to do. The only reason you, you are so fearful of death is because you're not doing what you want and you feel like it's running out of time before you get to do what you really want. You see what I'm saying? Word. Word. And then on top of that, when you actually connect to this deeper self of your own, then now you could actually objectively see the world. You don't have to judge it because you're happy. 
Now, when you see someone that's frustrated, yelling at you that you're doing this wrong and that you shouldn't be doing that. Now you just see an angry person who has a lot of sadness and trauma. And so you actually start to see the world for what it actually is versus thinking that the whole world is trying to like, fuck you and like all this and all that. You know what I'm saying? We become too caught up in our ego when the essence of who we are is really just this free energy that, you know, it's just free energy. And at the end of the day, you think about the physical body and everyone's so concerned about my body wasting away and this and that. But like, dude, all this is just energy. It's just material. At the, like, you just borrowed this, you know? Like, energy cannot be created or destroyed. So, like, at the end of the day, this is just energy and it's just going to transfer to be something else, you know? So that's why, like, you don't have to get, get caught up in the trivial stuff because at the end of the day, like, you know, yeah. like, you know, it's about the meaningful connections that you can make. I agree, man. I agree. You talked to, you touched on so many things that like played into um, like the combo quote that I came up with for this episode. Mm-hmm. Something that'll build off what you just said. Let me pull it up real quick. Just cause I could pull it up on my phone, but then my camera shuts off and I got you all that stuff. So let me, that's cool, man. <laughs> That's cool. You know, and we have to and, and real quick, just to just to I don't I wanted to say this, but like what you said about like me saying the thing in a simple way could possibly resonate really deep. And I think that's possibly true that a simple thing could resonate with more people, but just to give credit on your side, like to be able to actually analytically look at things and to have the vocabulary and to be able to kind of go very in depth. Like that's also just as important or just really important because that analytical part in which we could all relate on, even if it's just a term like that in itself creates camaraderie because then we can have a a conversation Mm. and we connect through this vocabulary that we have created. And that, and it's almost like that thing I mentioned earlier about the music, you know, it's just the percussions. Then we had the bass to this and we were going to deeper levels. So I think, the simplicity and the complexity are just as important because it's almost like the yin and the yang. Like they're both there, you know, but, but Mm. I think maybe the simplicity oftentimes could maybe be more powerful at scale because yes, because I mean, let's say for instance, we keep the analogy with the music, like not everybody knows how to play chords and how to also throw vocals on it. Like not everybody's at that complex level, but if you have, yeah whether you have the complexity or not everybody can understand the simplicity maybe not everybody could relate to the complexity but everybody could relate to the simplicity for the most part i think unless you like that emotional intelligence which then takes you to the opposite which maybe there are some people that can't relate to simplicity because they like that emotional intelligence so it is it almost seems like exactly what i said like you can't really say that one is more important than the other have you listened to uh ramdas uh that name sounds familiar but so Ramdas, I like Ramdas a lot. Um, he passed away last year. He was like in his late 80s. And he was like uh, a Harvard. He he was like, a, man, he's kind of like a psychonaut in a way, like a cosmonaut. He, he was like a Harvard PhD uh, clinical psychologist who brought LSD to Harvard and started researching it. And then he got fired because it was like the sixties. He went to India, met a guru and came back. I mean, basically the last 40 years, he's been a spiritual teacher and he had a stroke in 1998, which limited his ability to speak. 
So for the first like 30 years, he has all these recordings where he's like young, he kind of sounds like me a little bit. He's kind of more high pitched. He's really intellectual. He's really diving deep into the complexity and it's very verbally dense. But after he has a stroke and he's in like his sixties onwards, he is much, he, he, he feels he has the spirit inside of him, but he can only, he only says what is simple and what is necessary. And you can see the depth of it in his eyes. And that stroke really changed his life in many, many ways. Like, but he slowed down, like his voice deepened and it's felt a lot more. It was felt it was felt profoundly when he was younger, but it was much more like heady and talkative, right? And I really love the contrast. Like I, I really love listening to his early stuff, but then like <laughs> it was funny. Me and Deirdre were listening to him in the car, and uh, I love listening to his earlier stuff, but she doesn't resonate as much with his earlier stuff. She finds it kind of annoying. She just likes the guy with the, she likes the guy who's a little more slow, who's a little more deep, who's like thoughtful. And they've taken some of his like main messages and they've put them on like instrumentals for music. Mm-hmm. And he has like an album on Spotify. It's just called Ram Das. And it is a beautiful, it's so beautiful, man. Like it's like one of my favorite things to listen to because it's like this older, wiser Ram Das and his messages like tied in with music and like, it's really like you can you can feel it, you know, it's like really primal. But I have my phone up here. I don't know if we want to close or if we want to maybe Yeah, you know, we can do that. Let's do it. Why don't we go ahead and close? We've been going for like three hours. So <laughs> yeah. We'll have to hey we we, put a pin. we by put a far pin. are you sure we're at three hours something? I mean it's three o'clock. Okay. So if that is the case, then we we broke the record for longest podcast on on, the, on I this mean, podcast. Honestly, we can keep going. I stopped at the spring of 2019, and that's where things really started to change. But we'll have to pick that up at another time. Yeah, you know, because that's when I really got into biomechanics, and I have some really great stories about you know what I experienced in my body and um, some of the and then you know COVID and how I went to Georgia and coached and came back and all that stuff. So I'd love to do that and. Maybe the next time I see you in person, we'll have to talk about all of that. That mm-hmm. would be cool. Because we got a lot of catching up to do. Like, Just one-on-one. We could basically consider this three hours like relationship maintenance. Like our, we, haven't cha- we haven't changed oil in three years. So we had, yeah. to take, we had to take our relationship into the auto body shop, you know, for like three hours and just get some work done. You know? Definitely. So this really ties into what you were talking about um, a few minutes ago. And this is just my message to you and to other people and to myself. The vast majority of your thoughts are not special, insightful, or leading to solutions. Most of it is white noise, repetitive loops of worries, analysis that draws the same conclusions, passive aggressive conversations, and Game of Thrones scenes. This burns energy bleeds focus, reinforces your old rigid beliefs, and most importantly, takes you away from the present moment. Treat thoughts as a utility to use when needed and learn to shift your focus to what's real 
and immediate, your breath, the sounds around you, your body sensations, the movement by movement sensory experience of being alive. This yields so much more than chasing thoughts around your brain. This brings relaxation, joy, connection, and immersion into your life. And then the second part of that And then one day you'll stop chasing and you'll just send the email, sign up for the class, buy the groceries or make that phone call. The reality is it's not one big step that will change your life. It's a small step that you take again and again. Damn dude, that was awesome. It's really speaking to me in this moment, you know? Mm -hmm. That's that's what it is, man. Yeah. Cause sometimes like to be, to be clear, like, um, like with podcasts and stuff, I really resonated with the quote that was like, (laughs) uh, the part of this where it said, you know, a lot of your thoughts are just analysis that draw the same conclusions. And I'm definitely guilty of that. Like in this talk, like I kind of synthesized a lot of what I like I've already talked about or thought about a lot, even though I may may not have shared it to you in Mm -hmm. that one way, but our next conversation, I'll definitely ask some more questions, but um, what I've noticed in the podcasting thing, like space, Mm -hmm. because I don't know if I've ever told you this, but like from 2014 to today, I have listened to over a hundred days worth of podcasts. Think about that. That's a hundred days, a hundred days, 24 hours times a hundred. So that's, that's a synthesis. 240 of hours, no? That's 200 and, right? 240, no, it's 2,400. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 2,400 hours of like headphones in my ear, listening to other people talk. Mm-hmm. I've listened to podcasts, whether they be informational or entertainment or audiobooks. And I got into this habit where I was listening to these things for like four or five hours a day. And I was listening to them to like cope with just like, I'm just going to keep learning and keep learning, and keep learning. Right. And absorb all this information and not. And I was doing it to really like distract myself from a lot of elements of my life that I didn't really like that I wasn't dealing with. So that's why I chose this quote, because when you listen to that much podcast, you start to see the patterns of the people doing the podcast themselves, Mm -hmm. where they don't really, they, they run out of things to say, but they keep talking. And I, I kind of want to avoid that. If I'm going to talk about the stuff that I enjoy talking about, I'd rather it, it be from my own action, my own experience first. There's a story attached to it. And it's like for the benefit of like the people around me and to people like you, who I get to share this space with, you know, mm-hmm. I've had to go way back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, whether or not 
I would create kind of a content machine and go on the, you know, I've doubt, I mean, I've count, I've countless times I've thought about like really getting serious on social media or starting a podcast or whatever. But then this quote really comes up for me and it's like, you know, treat your thoughts as a utility to use when needed and learn to shift your focus to what's real and immediate. And a lot of times I haven't been living in what's real and immediate because I've been listening to too many podcasts. Mm. So. You kind of feel like you need to just kind of allow your, your yourself to marinate with yourself. Yeah. Kind of thing. I mean, at some point you just need to go, you need to go out and do, mm-hmm. you know? but I, I appreciate having this time with you to just share. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of like, provoke like we'll sit on we'll sit on this for a while then the next time i see you we can like do some stuff mm-hmm. and like maybe maybe i'll have some questions for you you'll have some questions for me but then we'll just like we'll just be you know we'll just keep going mm-hmm. and do it together you know so and you're gonna be um well actually we could just end it here and then i'll um and then we could continue talking a little bit more once i finish the recording is that cool after the show yes sir all right um everybody listening uh well if you've listened all the way then then you made uh, it this far if you made it this far good job <laughs> good job <laughs> yeah no i mean i i yeah I, I honestly i'm never gonna know if anybody listens all the way through but um but if you did get to this point you are listening to me i just want to say thank you because uh, your attention is valuable. And um, I hope that between the two of us, we were able to to maybe plant a little seed that, that maybe could blossom today or maybe it blossoms a day from now or a week or a month or maybe five, six, seven years. Because I truly think that, you know, our brain, we store everything as memory. Maybe it doesn't have an effect now, but it could in the future. So I hope that can be the case for you, whoever may be listening. I uh, just want to say I love you and I hope you're enjoying your moment wherever, whenever you might be right now listening to this. Uh, Paul, I just want to say thank you so much for for giving me, you know, a few hours of your time, which, is, as I just mentioned to the listeners, same thing for you. You're dedicating your time right now. And um, so I appreciate you. And, thank you. Uh, well, on to the next one. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.